Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partners to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Masha, and this week we're talking about Home Alone. Home Alone is a 1990 family comedy about a young boy named Kevin who is left home alone while his family is on vacation and must protect his house from two intruding burglars. It's a very scary horror movie. Yeah, and you'd never know by the title what it was about, like your other movies. You're not going to figure this one out. (laughs) You'd probably understand being John Malkovich, two seconds, but Home Alone? Yeah, this is the most on-the-nose movie you've picked for this podcast thus far just want to acknowledge probably yours was probably holes yeah (laughs) (laughs) the gift is pretty on the nose but it's also a little ominous right i'm not gonna go through all those in my head as mentioned home alone was released in 1990 it is written by john hughes and directed by chris columbus and it is starring macaulay culkin joe pesci daniel stern and Catherine o'hara Nice. So many questions here. Oh One, my God, what do you got? Is John Hughes the 16 Candles guy? He Breakfast is. Club guy? Yes, he is. Yeah, I knew I knew that name. The way this movie got made is pretty interesting, so I'll be getting into all that. But okay. yes, John Hughes was the prolific comedy maker of the 80s, you know, generally of teen movies, but he made other stuff. Yeah. But just a little quick John Hughes stat. In the 80s alone, he wrote 16 movies that got made, and he directed eight of those movies. What? So in one decade. so This guy didn't have a life for eight years. Yeah, so he wrote so many movies to the point where he just physically would be, it would be impossible to direct them all. So sometimes he directed them, like a breakfast club, and then sometimes he just sold it off and someone else did it, like the case of this movie. Whoa. Um, But yeah, John Hughes was probably the most prolific maker of comedies, I think, like single person. Yeah. When you're talking about the 80s. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm very proud of myself because I'm terrible with names. Yeah. Good with faces. Terrible I'm surprised with names. Yeah, you knew John Hughes. Um, I also feel like I know Chris Columbus. You do. This is uh, early on in his career, but he basically got to be known as one of the biggest like family movie makers we have around. Mm-hmm. So he did uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, um, yeah. I didn't Classic. see it, but he did Bicentennial Man. Mm. Um, he I did some other either. ones, and then the main thing you know him from is Harry Potter one and two. Oh my God! So, what am I an idiot? So he directed both uh, of those movies. So <laughs> right when this movie started, you were like, "What are we watching here? Harry Potter?" I'm uh, funny because John Williams did the score for this music movie, and he did the score for Harry Potter. Oh, well, that's so, why. Same composer, same director, and. It is funny, too, because I often see the first two Harry Potter movies on lists of best Christmas movies. Yeah. And the other ones are never on the lists, even though they're not Christmas movies. And doing my research on this, apparently Chris Columbus loves Christmas more than anything. Like, he just, like, he's obsessed with Christmas, so he loves to put it in anything he can. So I think he he added so much, like, little just touches that it felt like winter and Christmas in those first, especially the first movie. Yeah. That they just, like, it, it kind of feels almost like a Christmas movie, even though it's Aww. not. Merry Christmas, Chris. Happy Christmas, Harry. Happy Christmas, Ron. Oh, yeah. And he just co-wrote and directed this new movie on Netflix called Christmas Chronicles 2. Mm. Never heard of Christmas Chronicles 1 or this, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It has a good Rotten Tomatoes. People seem to really like it. So, who is it? Who's in it? Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn, and someone named Darby Camp, who I'm not sure who that is. Interessant. Tyrese Gibson's in it. Hey. Malcolm McDowell. There's some people. All right. Probably not going to watch it because I don't really care that much. 
(laughs) (laughs) about that. It's about Santa Claus and stuff. Like, it's like a little too Christmassy for me. Um, All right. But yeah, so Chris Columbus, before this, he, have you ever heard of the adventure, uh, the adventures in babysitting? I thought you were going to say, have you ever heard of the Avengers? And I was like, yes. Uh, (laughs) The adventures of babysitting, what? Adventures in babysitting? No. Uh, okay. That was a big movie in the 80s, and uh, Chris Columbus directed that. No. So, basically... I, I know of the Babysitter's Club. Uh, yeah, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was a screenwriter before he got to start directing. Uh, he's a real prolific screenwriter of the 80s as well, just like Hughes, and he wrote some big ones like Gremlins and Goonies, uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Those are all really big movies of the 80s that Chris Columbus wrote. Wow. And then Adventures in Babysitting was his first directorial b- debut, was actually a pretty big hit, uh, did good, and then I guess he made some movie after called Heartbreak Hotel about Elvis that was just a bomb. Oh, like, no. No one liked it. It lost money. Like, it really... He thought his directing career was over, and then Home Alone was kind of his, like, next chance. Dang. Um, but I have a whole story of that that we'll get into as we kind of... You know, as a general structure, where I'll start going into the tidbits and everything. I also just want to say quickly, so this was made on a budget of about $18 million, and in its theatrical run, it grossed $476.7 million. Whoa. And then it went on to just gro- keep grossing and grossing and grossing. I mean, VHS alone... 150 million. I couldn't even find numbers on the Blu-rays and DVDs and all I, the things that came out of that. I've got this movie on VHS. Yeah, like this. <laughs> this was just not going anywhere. It stayed. It became number one and stayed number one for 12 weeks in a row. Dang. So every new movie that came up against it for the next 12 weeks. It came out way before Christmas, but it was just so popular. It stayed in theaters well through Christmas. So That's actually very smart on their part. Yeah, it's also a little Well, risky. I guess it could work either way. Yeah, like if your movie just isn't good, people are going to be like, at least put it by Christmas so it's like yeah, something, true. you know, they, they, you can't really guess that you're going to have a, you know, you're going to have a Titanic on your hands, you know, like a 12 week, 14 week. Yeah. Um, but so, they yeah. had to have some sort of idea in testing. <laughs> so yeah, this was a smash hit right off the bat. But before we get into all our fun facts and my details, Masha, what is your knowledge and memories of Home Alone? Well... Andy, this might be a first, but I have seen Home Alone before. <laughs> I've actually seen Home Alone 1, 2, and 3. Oh, look at you. The very unpopular number three. The trilogy. I'd love to talk about Home Alone 3 and Beyond the Credits. Just <laughs> oh, I'm down putting to talk, that pin in there. I'm talking to talk about the series as a whole. <laughs> but I really don't remember. I just know that I was a kid who watched this movie and either it was put on in school I don't think we rented this movie, but I just remember knowing of this movie for a very long time. Yeah. Like, I could see this being a popular, you know, where it's five days left of school. Let's watch something. You know, it doesn't need to be educational as long as it's not offensive. Or I don't know if you ever took those long field trips and sometimes we'd get the bus that had the VHS player in the front. So it would have one little TV up front. So they would would put it. No, you couldn't even hear the motherfucker. It was (laughs) trash. But we would all get excited. We'd all vote like, I want to watch Flubber, you know, like whatever the fuck was out at the time. So I could see Home Alone being part of that. Um, It's a tiny bit before our time because it came out 1990, which is when I was born. Yes. So obviously I was alive, but I didn't know. I don't like I wasn't there. So. That, that goes to show that how popular it was that even us going to elementary school five, six, seven, eight years after right. this movie came out, it was still in rotation. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about this movie because, of course, there are a lot of moments in it that can cause some stress for a young kid. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> really? I thought it was a great time. I had so much fun. <laughs> I was like, woo, look at him go. Oh, man. He's great. But yeah, I don't have any specific stories. Just that I, I have known for of this movie for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder if younger generations know about Home Alone. Don't you... Because, like, we know that they're not watching TV. Yeah. So, it's does this movie even come into their, like, world at all? I think the current young generation will because the same way I'm familiar with a lot of stuff that came out five to ten years before me just because of older brothers and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I think people our age now are having kids. Yeah. And they're going to be showing them home alone. So, I think it'll, it'll go for another generation. But, yeah, over time, I don't know if it's going to... St- continue on that's so crazy to think about (laughs) it's nuts i mean you'd argue now that macaulay culkin's not even the most famous culkin like you know oh my god if you you put him and one of his brother in the room people are gonna be like oh look it's the guy from succession i cannot tell you how excited i was when i saw kieran in there Uh, like i just forgot how like young as little fuller yeah yeah because he's even younger than uh she's all that yeah he was like a, he was like 12, 13 on that one. He's like a little tiny baby on this one. <laughs> Old Fuller. <laughs> Cute. Old Fuller. What about you, Andy? What is your history with this movie? Similar to yours where I don't remember a time where I didn't know Home Alone existed. I just It just seemed like I was born into a world where they were already... It was like everyone knew about it. You know, the way you're born, you know what the hell Wizard of Oz is. You're like, how did I even learn what Wizard of Oz was? <laughs> yep. <laughs> a movie that's almost 100 years old and somehow i got this like i know about the flying monkeys (laughs) so i always remembered home alone this definitely was one of those situations and i think a lot of people my age had this where i grew up watching home alone 2 way more than i grew up watching home alone 1 Um, part of it was probably just because it was newer so if i'm born in 90 home alone 2 comes out 92 so i'm still only two years old but we had that vhs early i had older brothers i had older cousins we had that vhs somewhere And so <laughs> I remember as early as four or five years old, like with my cousin just watching Home Alone 2. And also because I played a lot of video games, we had Super Nintendo at the time and all that. And Home Alone 2 was coming out on all the systems oh as well. Oh my God. There's, so, a, there's a game. There's, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of games? More than one? Or there's, so for bo- both movies, they made one for every system that was out at the time. And back in the day, it wasn't like now where if something's on PlayStation, it's the same shit on Xbox. Uh-huh. The systems were so different. It was almost like new games. So if you had it on Sega, it played completely different than the one on Nintendo. So yeah, there's like seven different types. Right. of. We're going to have to talk about the details of this <laughs> game later. They're not great. But anyway, we had Home Alone 2 on Super Nintendo, played that like crazy. And so I don't know what it was. I just always watched Home Alone 2 more. And it was even at that point where... For most of my childhood, I just was like, yeah, that's the better movie, like Home Alone 2. It's better than Home Alone 1. Like, what are you talking about? It's not even it's not even a question. And I felt that way with a lot of sequels as a kid for some reason. Like, I thought Ninja Turtles 2 was better than Ninja Turtles. <laughs> even Rush at- Hour 2? Rush Hour. I thought Rush Hour 2 was better than Rush Hour. Whoa. When I was 12, I thought Mummy Returns was better than The Mummy. Because <laughs> sequels are stupid. So, like, they just up up everything, you know, like, make everything crazier. And when you're a kid, that's awesome. Like, I, I didn't know about story structure and I didn't realize that, like, they weren't doing original shit. So anyway, I always thought Home Alone 2 was better. And then um, as I got older, I was just like, let me dive back into these. I kind of let them go during my teenage years and in my 20s. I was like, let me check these out again. <laughs> and then I was like, man, this is such... I watched that first. I was like, this is just such a goddamn gem. Like, 
it just has so much heart. It just like I just love it. it just like makes me happy to put it on. And then I watched two, and I was just like, it's fine. Like I don't, I don't know. I know I'm gonna Dang. get some flack for that. People love two. It doesn't suck by any means, but when you watch them back to back, it's crazy how it's the same fucking thing. Oh yeah. It's it's yeah. that kind of sequel where they just take the whole structure, they change a couple of things, change the location, but like everything's the same from meeting somebody old who he's scared of who turns out to be nice. Even, like, even when they fucking, there's a real line in the sequel. We overslept. Again! Like, I was just like, I was like, God, these guys did not try. Um, so <laughs> Again, as if it was, like, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christmas yeah. happened. That's funny. So, uh, I like to, and I could totally watch it and have a good time. But if I'm boiling it down, um, nowadays, yeah. one just holds all the heart for did, me. Did this movie hold a special place for you being sort of the young sibling with like a bunch of like a big family you know a bunch of cousins and everything i think yes but subconsciously like i don't think i realized that till later in life when uh, i was like i kind of relate to this uh, this is still a little different for him because he was still close enough in age to all of them right where i had that thing where i'm the youngest but also by like a lot yes. so my brothers are 11 and 13 years older than me i have you know, two close cousins, one's two years and one's three years older, and then there's, like, a gap, and the next one's, like, six, and then I have cousins who are, like, 15 years older than me, so, <laughs> uh, you know, they were all, by the time I was born, they are 18, 19, you know, like, right. so, yes, I did uh, relate to this, but also not really, because I still, I relate more to only children, to be honest, than I do to, like, yeah. something like this. Well, I guess I was just speaking in terms of... I, I, yes, the family thing, but also the fact that, you know, he's a young kid doing, like, fun stuff like eating pizza Oh, and yeah, ice yeah, cream. yeah. The, <laughs> I think any kid who watched this at the time, this is, like, the ultimate fantasy of what would I do if I could, you know, yeah. be in charge, this and that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, but that's funny. So, yeah, I related to it like that. That's cute. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much my memories of it all. So, you never danced through the house all crazy with your arms in the air and go because uh, i could totally see you doing that <laughs> probably not but also for me like you know because i my brothers didn't grow up with me they were already out of the house by the time i was a certain age and both my parents worked i was also not like for days at a time but i was home alone every day like you know like i would come home from school and then like nobody would be home for a couple hours yeah so i was never like oh my god i could like i can yell like i could there was a time of every day i could yell you know so like it didn't get me that excited and also while I did grow up in a, I was, you know, lucky enough to did grow up in a, in a pretty nicely sized home in the suburbs. I was not the McAllisters. I was not a oh multi-millionaire fucking family like these motherfuckers. Jesus Christ. So I didn't, I didn't quite have uh, the playhouse to my disposal. You know, it's so funny because when you watch this movie, you know, it starts out on this huge family and it takes a while for you to realize that Macaulay Culkin's family is not as big as it seems. Like, yeah. those are his cousins and yep, stuff. Yep. So at first I'm like, oh, this makes sense for that family. But once you realize it's only like five of them, you're yeah. like... Do you really need this house? Seriously, it's fucking huge. For real. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I can confirm <laughs> you're not the McAllister. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I know any. Who, <laughs> anyone who has a house that big. <laughs> McAllister, just call McAllister Rich. Yeah. It's like, fuck you, you're McAllister Rich. <laughs> New Year's resolution, become McAllister Rich. <laughs> So I'm going to just fire off uh, some other kind of making of facts that I don't know if we'll be able to pepper in during the actual discussion. Okay. Uh, and then we'll pop into plot here. 
But yeah, I already told you what the movie made. It was also nominated for two Oscars. Oscars? Yeah, Best Original Score for John Williams for the music. And then Best Original Song. I don't know if that was also for John Williams, but it was for... Because songs and scores are different. I don't. I don't really. I didn't look into it exactly what song it was uh-huh. or when it. Yeah. I don't have any info on that. Sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just looked. I was like, oh, they won be- uh, nominated best original song. I wrote that down. I but, was like trying to think of a song. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. Well, it didn't win any of those Oscars, but they were nominated. Uh, uh, who did he lose the best score against? Even know probably what like, else was probably like out dances that... with wolves if i had the fucking guess that that won everything that year if if it's dances with wolves it was the song from dick tracy which is hilarious because nobody remembers that movie i don't even i've never even heard of that movie um oh and it was john williams it was called somewhere in my memory was the name of the song i wonder if it's that i don't know it says lyrics by leslie Bricuse. Oh. so it was a song with lyrics <laughs> No, because what you just did sounds like the comp- the, the com- composition, like yeah. the, the composed music. I don't know. All I want to say was it got two Oscar nows. All right. But what? Okay. I'm going to look up that film later. I don't even know what it's Dick about. Dick Tracy? Yeah. It's a throwback. Dick Tracy's an old detective comic book from like the oh. 40s, and they made like a 90s revival with Warren Beatty. And it's... <sighs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. Wow. <laughs> cool and it was also nominated for two golden globes one for best comedy or musical and then culkin for best actor in comedy or musical oh good for him and it didn't win and no i didn't look up what wins and i'm not going to so. no it's fine <laughs> <laughs> you're just slacking on the research no no big slacking you know how much i fucking this movie's i got pages i'm about to waste all these motherfuckers time and tell you a whole bunch of shit you don't need to know so buckle up for some time wasting people so i'm gonna tell you how this movie got made so I mentioned earlier, Chris Columbus had one hit, one flop, was kind of uh, kind of screwed. But John Hughes at the time was looking for someone to direct National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which he just wrote. Mm-hmm. And he was a fan of Chris Columbus. So he, he went to him and he said, hey, why don't you direct this movie? I think it'll be great. Help you get back on top. Columbus was like, Christmas Vacation? I love Christmas. <laughs> I'm in. Nice. Before they even got through pre-production, Chris Columbus and the star of Christmas Vacation, Chevy Chase... Did not get along. Um, obviously, I haven't heard Chevy's side, but as every story with Chevy Chase goes, the other guy said Chevy was being a dick every single day. Oh, and while I haven't heard Chevy's side, and I've heard enough stories at this point from enough people in Hollywood that I kind of believe believe them whenever they say it. So That's crazy. Uh, he was just saying that Chevy was just super mean to him all the time. Well, during uh, pre-production, like he just he belittled him, belittled him in front of the crew like never gave him any respect as a director never listened to him constantly contradicted his orders like made fun of him because he was inexperienced and young and Chevy's like a huge star so just kind of like played the power card all the time and like really just made him feel like shit shape change on Duquesne <gasps> what shape do you choose for him? fat here stop it Pierce Duquesne starts gaining weight how much? make him as fat as fat Neil Pierce Oh, right. Cry. Let it out. Baste your chubby cheeks in tears of gravy. So Columbus was kind of stressing out where he was like, fuck, what do I do here? Like, we didn't even start making the movie. Yeah, and I'm, I'm freaking out. And then he decided to call John Hughes to kind of like tell him, you know, and he was being pretty cool and uh, kind of friends with 
like kind of and he liked Chris Columbus so he right away he was just like dude I get it I don't I feel like you shouldn't direct this movie like mm. let's just not do this nice. Columbus was mad sad like he was like I he's like okay this is what I wanted but you know he's still bummed and then a week later he's just like down in the dumps like I'll never direct ever again and then Hughes mails him two scripts and he's like yo I just wrote these Hughes was right <laughs> Hughes wrote Ferris Bueller's Day Off in two weeks. Like, that entire movie, he just sat in a, a two weeks of writing every single day. Boom, finished. So he sent him two scripts, and one of them was Home Alone. And I, I don't even know what the other one was. I don't know if it ever got made. But Columbus read Home Alone. He was like, ah, I want to do this. Like, I <laughs> love this. He did, a re- he did an uncredited rewrite over it. He mm-hmm. said he basically just added more of the Christmas and family stuff and cut back on the slapstick craziness because mm. john hughes just wrote a complete like off the wall comedy where it's like wouldn't it be like he just wanted to write a cartoon movie yeah and then chris columbus saw that there was actually moments to put some heart and actually like give these characters some depth as opposed to being like what if a kid was crazy you know right so they went back and forth passing each other the script and uh and then that's how they finally were like boom this is great that's awesome um and that's not even fun i told you i'm wasting a lot of time here because i got i got more story so they sell it to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers, they buy it, but they don't have faith in it. So they tell them, basically, you get $10 million to make this movie, which really, not a lot. You know, mm. it's, not, it's not indie, but it's not not a high budget either. Like, you really got to get creative at that point. They basically were like, they just didn't have faith in a movie starring a kid because there wasn't really that many precedents for that. Wow. We were in the era of Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Bruce Willis, like... You pick a movie star and then you make a movie around them. So right. when they said, we're going to make a movie around the nine-year-old kid who's barely been in anything, mm-hmm. uh, it was hard to sell. So they said $10 million. Have you ever seen Uncle Buck, the movie? I have not. That's another John Hughes movie. And Macaulay Culkin is in that movie. They needed a one scene with like a little boy and he got cast in it. Uh-huh. And that's how, that's why he wrote this movie for Macaulay Culkin because he loved, he was like, this kid is, we got to get him in a movie. That's great. So after working on him with Uncle Buck, he was like, <laughs> and if he was nine in this, he was like seven in that. Right. So he was really young. Probably met the whole family. It was like, I am I feel inspired. Yeah, he went to Culkin. <laughs> like, just so many kids. He went to Culkin Farms and he picked himself a Culkin <laughs> to, to cultivate for the future. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm trying to burn through this as fast as I can. So they get the $10 million. They're working on the movie for a while. They, they're in pre-production. Everything's going good. Building sets, this and that. They are basically go over the 10 million and now are at like 14 million or so. Ooh. So yeah, it went up to about 14.7 million and they were about to go on like a Christmas break while making the movie. So they decided to write up a proposal to Warner Brothers to ask for some more money and say like, hey, actually, no, it didn't get to 14 yet. I think it was at like 12 or 13. And they basically said like, we would like 14 to finish this movie. Like we know you said 10, but. This is what we got going so far. Like, we think we have something good go. Like, you know, thinking it would all be fine. They got John Hughes back in him. Like, you know, he's not a nobody. And then basically they got a call saying, absolutely not. If you cannot get this down to 13.5. So basically 1.2 million cheaper than you asked for. We're shutting this whole thing down tomorrow. Like the next day. And they called their bluff and they were like, they were like, they're not going to shut us down. So they were like, "Uh, how about not? And then they were like, boom, movies shut down. And so the Warner Brothers just completely shut the whole movie down. Oh. And said, go fuck yourself. Uh, but, twist, before that happened, John Hughes was kind of feeling this studio pressure and he was kind of stressing out a little bit. And he had a friend who worked over at Fox as an executive and they just happened to be uh, having dinner one day talking. And John Hughes was just going over, you know, I do it every day. They're bothering me about the budget. They won't trust us. They won't let us do this. They won't let us do this. And then the guy was like, Let's have dinner with me, you, and my boss. And he brings his boss in. 
And then he's telling the boss the whole same thing. And he's like, so that's crazy that they're riding you. Like, tell me about this movie you're making. <gasps> that's already kind of, a, you can't really do that. If yeah. you're developing a movie for one studio, you can't tell another studio about Ooh, it. Juicy. So John fucking tells him the whole thing. The little boy tells him all the circumstances, the story ideas. And they're like, we fucking love this. And then, wow. so they were like, so then this part is like the super illegal part. But, you know, John Hughes is dead. I think we'll all be okay. Somehow. No one, no one will ever say that they know how, but a script for Home Alone appeared on the steps of Fox's uh, offices. Ooh. Totally illegal. You absolutely cannot show your script from another studio to another. Like, like right. once you sign the contract with Warner Brothers, you cannot show their legal materials to another studio, like a competitor. Yeah. But they did. The guys at Fox read it, and they basically told John Hughes, they said, hey, just keep working on the movie. The second you get a phone call from Warner Brothers saying that you're shut down, Call me and we will pick up and you won't you won't lose a single day of production. Whoa! He's like, we will get. He's like, how much do you need? And he said, fourteen million. And he said, that's fine. We 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 think this is gonna be a hit. Whoa! And then so while that was going on, that's why they were so brazen to tell Warner Brothers to go fuck themselves about yeah. the thirteen point. So the way the way that I saw it is John Hughes hates uh, the studio system and he that's why he shoots all his movies in Chicago because that's where he's from and he <laughs> just, he hates L A hates New York just you know everybody's phony blah 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 so. For this movie, there's this one old high school that he used to film all his movies, like uh, 16 Candles and all the uh, Breakfast Club. Yeah. So he turned that high school into the production offices for this movie. <laughs> so it was like, you know, the wardrobe department was in the science labs. Like, it was just like, it was basically like the whole campus was That's them. Fun. was like the village of making this movie. Yeah. And they were saying how the executive from Warner Brothers showed up and he was going building to building, telling everyone, we pulled the plug. Money's gone. Everybody shut down. Get this out of here. Movie's over. Go home. No one's getting paid. Right. And then he would like leave a building and go to the next building to tell the next group. And as he was doing that, <gasps> the uh, another guy would go in the building and go, don't listen to that guy. He's a fucking idiot. But Fox just bought us. Keep going. Don't shut anything down. And Whoa. then he, they would each take turns going build at the building. And then he said when he got to the end, the guy behind him, the Warner Brothers executive was like, where'd you come from? And he goes, hey, you're fired. And then he and then he left. And then he said the next day, all of a sudden, there was a shipment of all these director's shares that said Fox. Like, like it was just like, Whoa. they said they didn't miss a single day of pre-production. Like, it was just, Fox had everything waiting to go. They were like, we are taking this movie the second that we can. That's crazy. Because it wasn't a legal... Tech, the only illegal part was showing in the script. They didn't like sign any Fox deals, so they waited until Warner Brothers told them it's over. Then legally was over, right. and then they signed the deal with Fox. So I thought that was crazy. <laughs> Whoa, that's awesome! I know, isn't that nuts? I love that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I know. I just I said I was going to waste a lot of time, but that was like I no, had that's to get a that out. whole movie in itself. I know it was nuts. <laughs> um, um, when did that information become public? I don't know. I didn't learn. So I learned that watching that show on Netflix, The Movies That Made Us, mm. which I'm not the biggest fan of how cute, how it tries to be very funny with the editing and the music. I, I make this complaint a lot with documentaries. I just want to learn shit. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to, yeah. if I want to watch a funny movie, I'll fucking turn one on. Yeah, I'll put, <laughs> watch some Lonely Island shit. You know, like, so it's a little too cute for my taste, that show, mm -hmm. but you do get to learn cool shit like that. And that's how I learned that story because I never, I never knew that before. That's awesome. Um, and then you had 
in the end, the budget ended up being eighteen million, so they didn't even go over that. But <laughs> Fox was just loving what they were seeing, so they were oh, like, they've probably made their money back, yeah, like, like they, ten times over. They were like, yeah, so it, it's. I found that so funny. Wow, that's um, amazing. Yeah, go John Hughes. I have tons of other fun uh, production stuff, but those I can easily pepper in throughout the movie, so I don't want to front load this beginning part too much. Nice, that's mad intriguing. It's <laughs> crazy, right? Yeah, it's so funny. It's like an episode of Succession that I just listened yeah. to, or something like you know, like some like. <laughs> I love when the media story, industry show the story was over and you went woo <laughs> it was a ride <laughs> yeah uh, that's fantastic people listening agree i hope i hope so <laughs> all right so should we go into a non-spoiler section on this so right off the bat you get this beautiful, beautiful score, John Hughes, over the nice, simple title cards. Sequence. Oh, yeah. That's what you said it felt like Harry Potter. Yeah, it sounded... Ig- it, I I could see him as a composer being like, you know, I really love what I did with that Home Alone thing. Let yeah. me see if I can put bring it to the next level because it brought me to Christmas time in Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like it, yeah. I, like, I like how you... <laughs> you said it went from Home Alone to Harry Potter's the next level. This is the guy who wrote the Star Wars music, oh. the, the Superman music, the Jaws music, the Indiana Jones music, the E.T. music. <laughs> He's probably the most famous film composer of all time. Ah, no! That's not it. It just doesn't sound like the tune that George Lucas needs for his new Star Wars meets Indiana Jones movie. Think John Williams. Oh man, I'm embarrassed a little bit. <laughs> Lack of knowledge of who John Williams is. <laughs> I respect him though. Yeah, he's fucking the bomb. I also have not watched like 80% of what you just said. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not an Indi- Indiana Jones person, not a Star Wars person, definitely not a Jaws person. E. Though I am a f- familiar with the music, E.T. I never watched. You don't like Steven Spielberg, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I... You're like, I've seen Ready Player One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That doesn't count. I'm trying to think of another classic Spielberg, but okay. I don't want to get too off topic here. Yeah, so. you, have, you haven't seen Jurassic Park. Nope. Saving Private Ryan. You haven't seen Schindler's List. I have seen Schindler's uh, List. Have you seen The Color Purple? No, hell to the no. Yeah, you don't see nothing. Though I do thank him for the be- for starting Whoopi Goldberg's movie career. <laughs> he really deserves a lot of credit for that. <laughs> That's the most important thing he's ever done. Yep. What were we talking about? John Williams. hey Kevin! <laughs> because this is like a quote-unquote low-budget movie, <laughs> Williams' music off the bat just makes it feel expensive. Mm. Something about his fucking shit just seems like, maybe just because he's so associated working with such smash hit movies, that like when I hear the beginning of this movie, it just feels like there's money in it. I don't know what it is, you know? Like, yeah. And apparently he wasn't, they had a different composer and they said they hated the first cut. And then they were just like on a lark. We're like, listen to John Williams. Like, he's not going to take it. Like, he's John fucking Williams. And then he loved the movie. He watched Aww. the cut without the music. And he's like, okay, let me let me work on this. And then he came up with everything. That's so amazing. It was one of those where like, like in a, you know, pie in the sky, best best scenario, who'd you get? They were like, John Williams. And they're like, all right, let's try. And so. I just freaking want to be around when like these things happen. <laughs> yeah. I just want to see it. But yes, yeah, so you get all the chaos of the house of all these million crazy kids packing and i like it though because it gives you a kind of a sense of 
the house, which will later become a playground for us. Mm-hmm. So you kind of you're seeing the rooms, you're seeing the layout. It's it's kind of a fun way without just showing boring establishing shots. Like here's every room. Right. It's telling a story, but while at the same time laying out the the layout of where we're gonna be. Yeah. The beginning of this movie too just is very clear that you're in the suburbs because no other place would it be cool if like someone walks into your house and like you don't even care. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just remembered that being sort of the thing that stuck out to me. You're talking about Joe Pesci being there dressed in a cop uniform. Yeah, yeah pizza yeah. guy can walk right in. <laughs> like, well, I think it was also. I think all this opening is brilliant because it everything they do here is like in a smart way plants little seeds of like how oh, totally. believable it is that it happened. And the first thing is is that it, this first scene clearly shows that if it's not Mr. and Mrs. McAllister, everyone else is goddamn useless. <laughs> yep. Every single kid is a kid, so they're all just in their own world. They don't give a shit. If they see an adult, they're like, fuck adults, we're packing, you know? So yep. they do it. And then the only other adult is, is the aunt and uncle. Oh. The aunt is useless, and the uncle is just like a fucking asshole yeah uncle frank so even so like it just goes to show you that out of this group of like 18 there's only two people with like heads on their shoulders yep so i like (laughs) i like that um so as as much as it just looks like it's a cute scene to be like isn't this funny but we're establishing how craziness is part of their everyday life in this group Mm -hmm. and so it's not crazy that later they get overwhelmed by craziness you know what i mean and you totally sympathize for kevin because he gets, you know, sort of the short end of the stick when it comes to just getting getting attention to, you know, just wanting basic things. Yeah. And my favorite burst of frustration for him was when he was like, when I grow up, I'm going to get married and live alone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like something like that. <laughs> I love a little writing like that is fucking so good because kids say <laughs> stupid shit like that. And like you have to really remember that because that made me remember my aunts used to always laugh because I had a cousin who one time he was like three or four. And one of like our uncles was like fucking with him. Like not fucking with him, but just like picking him up. He's like, put me down, this and that. Yeah. And then he was just like, one day I'm going to grow up big and you're going to grow small. And then I'm going to do the same to you. Like, because he thought like, like adults become kids and kids, like we take turns, you know? So like, like he was like three years old and like, like that's like, I was just like, yeah, kids just like have weird ass. So to him, you can't grow up and be an adult unless you're married. So he's like, I'm going to grow up and get married and then I'm going to live alone. <laughs> like it's so that's great kid writing yeah but overall though that house just definitely gave me anxiety yeah packing the night before just everything yeah uh everything about it um that and uh what you were saying before where you get sympathy for kevin because he's getting like excluded and stuff that that's the part where i did totally uh relate to kevin because there were a lot of times in these functions where all the cousins would be like late teenagers and I would be six or seven and then they'd all rent like a scary movie Uh. and it wasn't that I wasn't allowed to I didn't grow up in that kind of family like don't watch stuff like I could have I was just too scared to so I would try to watch it with them and then they would like see I was scared and they'd like scare me more and fuck with me and then I like I have some members of being like five or six and just like standing at the kitchen table near the parents <laughs> and like all the kids are downstairs and I just was like I don't want to go down there like you know like or like I just felt ex- even though they didn't say you can't be down here I still felt excluded because like I couldn't handle it and yeah. they were like making fun of me because I was scared uh. and then also other scenarios where I remember where I learned 10 years later where we'd all be in one house and then all the cousins would go upstairs and lock one of the doors and they wouldn't let me in I'd be like what the hell they won't play with me and then I just found out they were like smoking a joint 
<laughs> and I was like six, so they were like, leave them out of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I found that out later. <laughs> so the whole thing with them, because Kevin's mad that he can't watch the movie they're all watching, the uncle won't let them. Yep. So he's upstairs with the parents. So I was like, ah, I can relate to that. <laughs> like, and then the parents are just frustrated. They're like, you have a million kids. Get the fuck out of here. Like, you yeah. know, like they're like, go play with your cousins. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. I love that. Yeah, we get we get more craziness. We get the pizza scene. And it just keeps piling on where Kevin, in true kid fashion, the only pizza he likes is a cheese pizza. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't have the palate to understand toppings are good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. And then we get the first thing in a series of like nine events that all need to occur in the exact order for them to leave Kevin. And that is the mom saying, everybody drink milk because it's going to go bad if we don't drink it. Yep. The, which explained why there was six full glasses of milk on the table, which is when... Kevin pushes Buzz, he knocks the milk over, it goes on the tickets, <laughs> and then they accidentally throw Kevin's ticket out with the paper towels. Yep. What I love about this and what John Hughes talked about in the writing of this is he said the hardest part was they had to go through so many antics to make sure that the audience never loses sympathy for the mom. A mom losing the kid is their kid is one of the worst oh. things you could do as a mother. Uh-huh. So they thought if they made it her negligence, the audience would never give a fuck about her. We'll never feel bad for her when she's trying to get back to Kevin. Mm-hmm. We'll always just be like, you're a bad mother. And he didn't want it to be that. So they had to write, they went over the top to make all these things happen that are, not all of them are out of her control, but still all 10 of them would have had to happen right. for her to forget her son. That's interesting though, because I know I know that this movie sort of focuses in on the relationship between mother and son yeah but why is it the mother only like if they are not divorced like it's the dad too i know but (laughs) they're both the parents but i get it but from a movie writing perspective by putting it all on the mother you're making it a better you're you're not splitting it you're not splitting up one character trait between two characters by having her going on this one journey it's you know they have other kids they can't I, both go what are they gonna like leave all the kids behind no i get it i get it i just i had that exact i had written it in my notes when she's on the plane and just realizes yeah. that she left kevin she goes i'm a terrible mother but she doesn't say we're terrible parents <laughs> i know i know and that i was like oh right. that's interesting it's a movie that came out 30 years ago that were written by people who were already alive 50 years yeah, before that is old it. school <laughs> You know, America's raised on old school traditions. The, yeah. The man makes the money, the woman, blah, blah, blah. That's what they were going for. You know, <laughs> Okay. It's, it's, it's just an observation yeah, that I made. It makes sense. <laughs> but I do, I don't know, I'm interested with how you feel, but I do think they do succeed where I never, I never look at her and go, you're a shitty mother for leaving your kid. I look at it as like, I probably would have done the same thing. If all those things happened, because she, she does the head counts. She does like, we, everything from... The alarm clocks have to be off. He had to sleep upstairs. She was actually doing him a favor by not making him sleep with Fuller. He asked her, I don't want to sleep with Fuller. He's going to pee on me. So she let him sleep alone. So that was even like a nice thing she did for Kevin. That even in his punishment, she was like, all right, I'm not going to have you be pissed on all night. Like, Like I'll put Fuller somewhere else. So that was something nice. The she made sure the kids did a head count and count boys and girls, so that was the cousin's fault completely. The mom trusted that she did, you know what I mean? She said, I counted whatever number was like six boys, seven girls, yeah. And then they even had them have her question whether or not it was right for her to be sitting in first class. Because if she was in, wasn't in first class, she would have been able to look at the kids. Right. And then if she didn't notice Kevin was there, she would. So it's like there was no point where she looked at her kids and just didn't see Kevin, you yeah. know what I mean? So. And I also love the cherry on the cake is that she realized she forgot him without having to land. 
Yes. It was like her intuition as a mother to be like, fuck, I never, you know what I mean? It'd be one thing if they got to Paris and she's like, hey, I only see three kids. Yeah. Where's our fourth kid? You know, like it was the fact that she realized it on her own. So for me, I never hate Catherine O'Hara or think she's shitty or like I'm always just like sympathetic all the way through for her. That's interesting. I'm the complete opposite. I, I thought that I would see this as an adult and look at it differently, but I still think the adults suck. <laughs> I don't know Explain what it, it is. I think that they laid out like everything you just said. I yeah. think they made great moves to make it so that way the mother doesn't seem like or the parents, yeah. in my opinion, don't seem like forgetful parents. But I just think even before the whole plane scenario, the parents just sucked and didn't handle like their kids well. Like I just don't think that they treated him fairly right off, like from the very beginning, in my opinion. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it wasn't anyway. when you're around the like when you're in a family of that situation with that many kids, like like, I truly believe they didn't see Buzz taunting Kevin, and all they saw was Kevin overreact and push Buzz and knock everything over. So, like, I like yes, they were being a little unfair, but I don't think they were being, like, assholes. Like, I truly think they all, like, they're busy. They look, like, when you have 15 kids in the house, you're not watching every single thing. They, yeah. How many times, like, I used to, you know, you'd be growing up playing with a bunch of kids. All of a sudden, one kid starts crying, and then all of a sudden, everyone's got to go deliver their stories upstairs. Like, right. the parents weren't down there, like... You know, and it's like two kids could have been picking on one. One kid could have been hitting the other. You have no right. idea. So I should also just explain my background, too. I am an only child. Yeah. And though I do have a lot of cousins, I didn't like hang out with them as often as like you did when yeah. you were growing up. So like to me, this whole scenario, I'm just like, I don't get it. I just imagine <laughs> it being like, like, like we're there's so much to think about that you, you, you can't. You, you mm-hmm. just can't. Like, you know, and if if a kid's not and I've heard, I mean, obviously, we, you know, I've never raised kids or anything, but. I've heard parents say where, like, if, you know, beginning you're very overprotective. As the years go on, like, I've heard people joke where they're like, if nobody's bleeding and nothing is missing off your body, I'm not coming in the room. Uh, like, like you're not glued to your fucking kids. So I guess so. But in my opinion, I, the house was out of control. So in my opinion, they weren't really good parents for me. I'll, I'll also <laughs> say, uh, I'll add in the fact that because there was... The aunt and uncle's kids, there was yeah. their kids, and then there was about four or five other kids whose parents lived in France. So not only that, they were they were in charge True. of five kids who weren't theirs. So I think in that scenario, you're paying a okay. little less attention to your own kids. That's fine. Because you don't want to call your brother and, uh, across the country and be like, you know those kids I was watching? Yeah, they're dead. Like, I mean, if he's your brother, shouldn't you feel I'm comfortable just... enough to be like, your kids suck? <laughs> All I'm saying bad is, bad influence on my I, kids. I think that the extra mile they went worked. Where I was like, yeah, I get it. I'm glad they went the extra mile. Now, when we get to Home Alone two, that's where I have huge problems. <laughs> I fucking, I was just like, you learned nothing. All right. You learned nothing from last time, you yeah. fucking idiots. <laughs> like, I was like, I was so. That's the movie where I'm like, yeah, you're a bad mom. Like, you're a real. When she goes, <laughs> I forgot Kevin again. I'm like, yep. Yeah, you, he should be taken away from you. So my, <laughs> so you could argue that I had great instincts from the first movie because I knew they'd make the same mistake again. <laughs> well, if there was never a sequel made, then the ending of this movie, you actually could have believed that they all learned something instead of doing the sequel reset. And the sequel, dude, everything is the same. Oh. They fucking Kevin's a fucking little shithead. They all ignore him. Buzz is a fuckwad. Then nobody respects Kevin. I was like, what? Don't you guys remember you respected him at the end of the last right. movie? Right. I love. 
how this movie just takes you back to a different time. Yeah. Because when the McAllisters arrive at the airport and the flight attendant goes, just pick any free seat. Yeah. I was blown away. Dude, when when they when their flight leaves in forty five minutes and they haven't left their house yet, yeah. I was like, man, they're not taking off their shoes for security. <laughs> like, they just see a group of whiteies. They're like, get on board. You're safe, Folly. Like, run on the plane. <laughs> you <laughs> get probably, a seat, and you get. They a probably seat. give them guns for protection. Oh, and be like, here, just take these guns in case somebody browns or something but you guys are good you gotta oh. get on the plane McAllister's oh man yeah he's crazy. fucking rich ass McAllister is probably handing out hundos at oh. the airport fucking grease Absolutely. and piles. yo when they dropped that money on pizza that's what changed me watching this movie as an adult where I know they have money and they're not worried but because I know what it's like to worry about money I just get stru- I was like, if I had to feed all these fuckers oh. multiple times a day, like that's like $160 for dinner and that's yeah. cheap dinner. Yeah. Like that's the cheapest dinner possible. <laughs> so any other scenario, you're spending $400 to feed this group of fucking maniacs. Oh, yeah. So I'm just like, yo. There's so like, much milk in the house. I just, I was just like, I I know that we're supposed to, in no part in the movie do they ever worry about money. It's yeah. supposed to show them they have so much money that it's not a problem. Yeah. I'm still stressed out. Like I'm just like, <laughs> oh, something that stresses I'm you I'm just out. like, yo, what are you going to, like, how do you yeah. feed these kids? But that happens to me in real life. I, I, when I travel for work, I'm like, I get to the airport, and sometimes I'll see, like, a, a two parents and, like, three kids. Yeah. And they come over with, like, something from, like, a burger from one of the airport places, and it's, like, $90. I'm just like, fuck, you got to do that every time they want to eat? Yep. Like, three times a day? Yeah. And then they get sick? Like, oh, my God, I just start stressing, <laughs> like, like, I was like, how do you pay for another human being? I don't understand how this works. <laughs> Anybody with kids, tell me, how, how do you how do you pay yeah. for someone else to, to exist? So I'm still trying to pay for mine. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, I'm barely <laughs> existing here. Um, speaking of which, take donations. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I got him. Venmo? Our Venmo is... <laughs> So yeah, Bo, they're on the plane. That's when we get one of the probably like eight to nine classic moments of this movie of <laughs> Captain O'Hara yelling, Kevin! <laughs> <laughs> on the plane, which nice. is awesome. And then Kevin wakes up, and I love that he thinks that the movie, that he's living in a magical movie. Oh yeah, like the, definitely. And I also like that it never really... Nothing ever happens to make him think that isn't true. <laughs> you know, like it's never, he never finds out. I'm sure later after the movie's over, they tell him that they were in Paris. But yeah. uh, like he just thinks that he, he because he wishes that he would never see his parents ever again. And then he wakes up and they're all gone. Yep. And he is thrilled. Yeah. I mean. That was really fun. There are a couple of moments where you can tell that this he's a nine-year-old actor. Like he's great. But he's mm-hmm. still nine years old. There are a couple like line deliveries where I'm like, all right. Really? You're nine. But there's some that are so good. And the one I think is just the, I made my parents disappear. <laughs> and then he remembers everything bad they ever said in that smirk. I made my parents disappear. <laughs> like, oh. Like, to, to understand, like, even as a little kid, like, to say the same line with such different tone and inflection. It has yeah. such a different meaning. Like. <laughs> Go Chris Columbus on that directing. Yeah. Um, all the kids said they loved him. They were like, they said uh, he was so good at dealing with children. And they said, like, he talked to us like actors and not as kid actors. Mm. And so they, like, they appreciated it where he just, like, he would just talk to them as the same way you talk to Joe Pesci, you know? Like, right. And he never, like, talked down to them or anything like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Did you learn anything about why Kevin's character loved black and white movies? No, but I also noticed that everybody in the movie seems to like black and white movies because mm. 
he turns the TV on in the morning and it's already on a black and white movie. Yeah. Uh, I think they were watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Then in France, they're watching it. But, so I just think that might have been a choice from the director, maybe, just to be like, we're only going to show black and white movies in this. Got it. Who knows? Maybe it was a throwback to classic Christmas. Maybe he remembers watching you know, Miracle on 34th Street and all those mm. old black and white Christmas movies. I see. That's my guess. But no, I didn't find out anything about that. Uh, I don't know if you had this, but like black and white stuff kind of just felt more like adult entertainment as a kid. Like it didn't feel like it was for me because cartoons are so kids, mm-hmm. kids stuff is so colorful and flashy. Yep. So to me, like adult or oh, like black and white movies just seem something that adults watch. Mm-hmm. So I think that might have also just been Kevin just like feeling like a grown up, like watching like the gangster movie for, you know, totally. like where like they, they say things and stuff like that. Yeah. I find it funny and I think it is true to an extent that if you leave your kids alone, it just forces them to eventually grow up faster Yeah, (laughs) because you just see like, yes, he starts out eating, pigging out on the ice cream and all that, but eventually like, you know, he's taking a shower, he's putting aftershave on his face where we get the classic, that part was awesome. (laughs) They said, uh. The script said he was supposed to just yell, but like for some reason, the first time he did it, he kept his hands on his face and they were like, <laughs> do that every time. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> that scene does make no sense, though, because aftershave doesn't burn you unless yep. you shave. <laughs> if, you, if I were to take aftershave right now and put on my skin, it doesn't burn. <laughs> but it's classic, so I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So did, did you have any highlights from his uh, parting in the house? Like he's jumping on the bed eating popcorn, having a bowl of ice cream while watching a gangster movie. He's fucking... Uh, he's looking through Buzz's stuff, so like his older brother's room, like that's like coveted oh, when you're a little boy. Like yeah. you know, he has Playboys and firecrackers and all like dangerous stuff that you're not supposed to have. Totally, I think I just the simple watching whatever you want on TV yeah. because I got to imagine he never gets control of the remote <sighs> in the house. So yeah, yeah. I think that would be my favorite if I were in Kevin's shoes. Uh huh. And I and you could tell he also gets yelled at a lot too for that because he was like, "Hey, I'm watching rubbish," you know. Like, <laughs> and he's like, so they could be like, "Turn that rubbish." Yeah. <laughs> I love how it's always apparent that he's is from a house that's never empty. Yeah. Like because it, it gives him an excuse to be talking to himself. No kid would talk to them. Like I would not be yeah, yeah. as an only child talking to myself in the house, but he, you know, yeah, it's feels probably the, the type of house out. where if he says anything, someone will hear you know, if he goes like says something about Buzz, Buzz is so, will always hear him. You know, it's like yeah. you're like, Buzz, I'm doing this. Da, da, da. Yep. What do you think of when he saw Buzz's picture of Buzz's girlfriend? Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> uh, apparently, they, uh, they, they, that was a picture of a boy because Chris Columbus just thought it would be too mean to oh, put a yeah. casting call like ugly twelve-year-old girl, you know, and then like cast some like a twelve-year-old girl and just be like you're the ugly one, go be, you know, like good he, call. He thought it was too mean, so somebody on the cruise just thought his son would do it. He thought it was funny, so he like, <laughs> put a wig on him and made him, you know. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. <laughs> When he's looking at the Playboys and he's like, oh, no one has any clothes on. Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so we got that early introduction of Pesci, but then we all, this is where we start to meet the wet bandits themselves, Marvin oh. Harry. Uh, I forgot about the wet bandits joke. These two, uh, their chemistry is so, so good. So what's his name? Leaves the sink on in every house they rob? Yeah, he, he plugs up, he puts like cloth in the drains and then leaves the sink running in every house they leave in the wet bandits. Oh my god. Pesci was another one of those where they didn't think they would get him. And then I don't, I don't know, I didn't get a really a detailed story of how they, they got him, but they got him and they were pumped. Nice. Um, and then they cast Daniel Stern also. And his story was kind of funny too where... In the very beginning, when he signed this contract, it was for six weeks of work, a certain amount of pay, this and that. And then, like, a couple weeks later, they were like, hey, we're actually going to have to shoot for eight weeks. 
And then, you know, and a very reasonable thing to ask is like, cool, I'm available, but am I going to get paid extra for those two weeks? You know, like I agreed to six weeks. Right. And they were like, no, we don't, it was low budget. We can't do that. And then so he's like, no, nah, I'm just not going to be in your movie. And he walked. And But they had already done some screen tests with him and stuff like that. Then they hired a different guy, uh, Dan Roebuck. I don't know him very well, but when I looked him up, he's one of those guys who's always in something. He never stars, but he's in something. Okay. Oh, he's been acting for like 20, 30 years. So they hired him, and then apparently after three days, they were just like, it's not working. Like, he's not he's not meshing with Joe Pesci. We're just not getting it. Oh. And then they they went back to him, and they decided to pay him. The, and at this point, the Fox thing happened, so they had a little more money. So ah. then they, they were like, we have to get Daniel back. And then it was just beautiful from there. Him and Pesci were just uh, like fast friends and everything. That's and they, they worked together. I never saw it, but they were in a movie like eight years before it together. So they had like they were already like kind of buds from that big studio film of expecting him to do it two weeks for free. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, fucking. Yeah. And plus, like, here. you also have to know that nobody thought this was gonna be that good. Mm-hmm. Pesci and Daniel Stern actually like they thought that they would like talk shit on set sometimes. They just be like, this is some dumb fucking kids movie. Let's just get this over with and go back to our uh-huh. like Pesci was just in Goodfellas. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like same year. Like he's just like. Argh. <laughs> They probably thought this was like a hallmark. Yeah, they just like. found it a little cheesy and stupid. And like Pesci's a bit of a prima donna. And like he apparently golfing is his favorite thing in the world. And whatever movie he's on, he golfs before he comes to set. <laughs> and they wanted him at seven. And he was just like, okay, I'm not doing seven. Like he's like, I got to golf. And so they just changed the whole production to start at nine every single day instead of starting at seven. <sighs> so he can get nine holes in before coming in. Jesus Christ. What? I don't know what it, you need in your personality. I could never do that. I know, right? I couldn't imagine knowing that like 300 other people now have to like put their shit on hold because I want to go Jesus do something. Jesus Christ. But I, like, I know, and it's such douchebag move, total prima donna, like not anything you want to emulate. But at the end of the day, like who else in this role? Like Pesci was so good as, as, as Harry in this movie. Mm. And as you could probably imagine, uh, it was very hard for him not to curse while on set. Since this whole movie seemed very cartoony anyway, they actually, I don't know how much Looney Tunes you watch, but like Yosemite Sam would do that when he was mad. He would be like, hustle, freckle, rackle, bunny, you know, like, uh. and it was supposed to be him being like this motherfucker, but like you can't, you can't say it on TV. I see. So he kind of adapted that kind of shit where he'd be like, get the kid, you little frickers, you know, like that kind of, um, so that was. I that, felt the anger. I know, but I kind of liked it too, because I know it was just like, it kind of gives this movie a weird flavor that. The <laughs> other movies don't have, you know, like yeah. usually the gangsters wouldn't be that. Brass a fraction, dirty naga hunting, sandals on a fat, dirty Turkish hark a back flattening, Martin, Silla Buck and Martin, Perkaluma Burton, Dirty Bush, Latin, Martin, and Adipole. Shoot, jump, 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 What? 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 What happened? Get that little. And they said, yeah, in production, they had a hard time deciding, like, how scary versus how silly to make these guys. Because they thought it was a fine line they had to walk. Yeah. They knew they were, like, the comedy of the movie was these guys. But if you weren't at least a little scared, it wouldn't work either. Like, you had to you had to actually think that if they got Kevin, they would do something bad to him. Yes. Which I think they accomplished also. Like Absolutely. It's not like, you know, like, if the Roadrunner catches, if Coyote catches Roadrunner, I don't think they're going to watch a scene of him eating him. You know, like, that's just not going to be on cartoons. Yeah. So you're not worried about it. But like this, I was like, like especially that part at the end, I'm like, fuck, like, mm-hmm. I'm going to torture this kid. Oh, yeah. So while Kevin's mom is trying to find her way home mm-hmm. from Paris, which... First of all, can we just pray for the character who had to wait 
hours at the airport with no cell phone or electronic device. <laughs> right? I cannot imagine doing that today. <laughs> I know. It's got to slick. But while all that's happening, Kevin is living his carefree life at the house while those guys are robbing the neighborhood and thinking that, you know, someone's at the McAllister house. Yeah, so the the reason Pesci was a cop in the beginning was because he went around and interviewed everyone in the in the neighborhood, so he found out exactly who would be leaving when. Right. And then part of their plan is the main reason they even picked this road is because of the McAllister house, because yeah. it's the biggest house on the block, and they knew that it would have the best loot. Yeah. So as soon as Kevin realizes that you know someone's trying to break into the house, I love that you didn't have to get frustrated with Kevin to like get common sense. You know, yeah. like he like flicks the light on to show that someone's home or like shows activity in the house with the cardboard yeah i love that first one because this is before the cardboard scene Mm -hmm. this is the he just he just hears them and he just instinctively turns all the lights on and i love that because it shows that he's smart but then he also runs upstairs and hides under the bed so like it's not he's not a genius like it would have been whack if right away he was like they're coming let me grab michael jordan you know like like he was just like what can I do? If lights are on, people will be held. Like, it was a very kid logic and it made sense. Yeah. And then it was like the next time, then when he had time to think about it and plan it, that's when he was like, all right, I need to make it look livelier in here. Yeah. So I, I actually really liked that. I thought it would have been stupid if he like had everything ready right away. You oh, know? totally. I love the progression of his thinking and all of the sort of, I guess, pranks that he does. I, I wouldn't call them pranks. I don't know what the word would be. Do you mean like the traps? Yeah, I guess traps yeah. or sort of misleading because it takes these guys a while to figure out that he's alone in the house. Yeah, like he he gets some he gets through a couple of days. Yeah, um, where he just like yeah like the next thing he does is set up all the cardboard and the mannequins. Yeah, which was pretty pretty hilarious. Watch him watch dance into the Christmas music with the strings on his legs. Yeah. Like, I just love whenever he's having a great time. Like Macaulay Culkin, like, you <laughs> can just see it because we also he goes into town. He's also getting more adult as this is going on yeah so instead of jumping on the bed and eating candy he's now like brushing his teeth and making a to-do list in the morning and and he's like oh i seem to have everything but my toothbrush which i can pick up one tomorrow when i go into <laughs> town like like he's very trying very hard to be an adult you yeah. know and then he goes to town he asks if the toothbrush is approved by the american dental association <laughs> just clearly something he heard on like a commercial you know yeah. like he's just being a kid but this scene i also like too i always remember thinking it was a little bit like useless like i was like why do we have to watch him Go there, do the toothbrush. Yes, he sees old man Marley and gets scared. But when I watched it again as I got older, I was like, you actually need this scene because because he stole the toothbrush and ran away from the cops, it explains why he doesn't call the cops for the rest of the movie. Because mm. I've always wondered, I was like, why doesn't he just call the police? Yeah. Like, he's old enough to know what 911 is and to be like, my parents aren't home, there's men trying to break into my house. But because he stole the toothbrush, he thinks he's going to go to jail because he's nine years old. Right. So in his kid mind, I can't call the police because they're going to know I'm the toothbrush thief. <laughs> so, like, it's brilliant and it also doesn't beat you over the head with it. So it's like, it's a great way to be like, that's why Kevin has to feel like he has to protect the house. And never call for help, you know? Okay, that's cute. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, and then also he gets to do that fun uh, slide on the ice underneath the legs. Yeah. <laughs> there was a really impressive slide. Yeah, the leg one. Yeah. How many takes did that take? Uh, yeah, it, it seemed on the movies that made us, they said that like that was Macaulay Colton's like, favorite day because they got to build like a sl- sled that he kneeled down on. And they slid him under people's legs and he was just like, wee. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, time of his life. Yeah. Like I said, I think the movie does really good at seeding things for later constantly. Even in that very first scene, just to rewind it, 
they say things like, we caught Kevin again playing with your glue gun. Like, we caught Kevin doing this. Mm. So clearly, he's already been walking, rummaging around the house, playing with his dad's tools, touching things he's not supposed to be touching. And it makes sense why he, like, has... Obviously, there's no way he could have set up all the traps in the end, in the time. It's just not... It's not realistic. Obviously, it's a movie. We're going to throw that out the window. (laughs) But at least it makes sense why he would, like, understand what a glue gun is and how to use it. And what what these tools do and things like that. One thing that I appreciated that this movie sort of teaches kids is to not take everyone's word as truth and to get to know something yourself. Yes. And... That being through his neighbor. Old man Marley. Old man Marley, yeah. who his brother is like, you know, he's murdered these people. And yeah, he he's been hiding st- in our town ever since. Which, uh, again, <laughs> coming from the suburbs, so normal. <laughs> we had a house at the end of the block. It just had, like, less sunlight than the other houses. <laughs> and we had all these stories of, like, don't walk by there by night. Like, they take kids. Like, like oh, like, this family never did anything wrong, as far as I know. Like, you know, like, no, nothing ever happened there other than it was a little bit darker because there was more trees over it. So, like, That's it just insane. looked scarier. So, yes, I totally buy why they would be like, oh, the creepy neighbor. Because it's an old man who lives alone right. and dresses in all black, basically. Like, I could see why. And, and old old people are just scary when you're little. Yeah. And he should just really just say something when people make eye contact with him. <laughs> yeah. So, it's not really 100% on the kids. Yeah. But, yeah, I remember that being a takeaway as a kid. I love the moment. After, after he turns all the lights the first time and scares the robbers away. Mm-hmm. And then he's hiding under the bed. And then he goes like, well, no. I'm the man of the house. I can't be afraid. And he, he's having this big moment where he's all feeling 100 feet tall. And he goes outside. I'm not afraid. And then he sees old man Marley and just shits his yep. pants and runs back inside. Classic. Uh, like, that's what I mean by I think they just capture that kid thing. Like, where, <laughs> like, he didn't, he didn't really feel powerful in that moment. He just thought he did. And he's like, I'm going to go be brave now. And like, right. and it just completely tore him back down. And I love little touches, you know, the furnace in the basement scaring him. That's a, <laughs> a lot of kids have that where just the basement's dark. So it's scary. Yep. Even the way that when he describes <laughs> it later, like. Adults <laughs> too. <laughs> Even though he described it later when he was like, oh, I used to think it was scary, but if you go down there and turn the lights on, it's not so bad. Like, you know, like he's just, he, he's seeing it through a new perspective, you know? Oh, totally. Oh, this doesn't really amount to anything. I just think it's funny. The black and white movie he watches uh, mm-hmm. that he uses to trick the pizza guy and everything. Yeah. That's obviously not a real movie. Uh, oh, it's not? Oh, no. They filmed that. Obviously. <laughs> Why guess, obviously? Well, I guess obviously because in the next movie, they watch the sequel to that movie. Yes. And the dialogue is way sillier. Like in this one, you could almost believe it. In the second one, it's so specific to the moment that he uses it for. It's like, there's no way this is a real movie. I was going to say, because the dialogue sounded so familiar. And I was like, oh, is it the same exact movie? No. So in this one, the movie's called Angels with Filthy Souls, which is a play on Angels with Dirty Faces, which is an old movie from the 30s. Okay. Uh, and then in the sequel, he watches Angels with Even Filthier Souls. Like, there's no <laughs> way that would be. And it's the same actor. That Are they... we absolutely positive that 100%. it's not a real okay. 100%. <laughs> Especially in the second one, because he's like, you've been smooching everybody and tim curry's like who have i been smooching and the guy's like you're smooching my brother like like they have like full-on conversations in this one it's not really believable but it's a little more believable uh. like i don't really think the plan would have worked with the pizza guy but in the movie dialogue was vague enough that like i i'll buy it you know yeah but that's where you get the classic that uh, actor is really good keep the change you filthy animal yeah <laughs> that's classic. where's that guy I mean, he's probably passed, but, <laughs> yeah, like, but what'd he do? Uh, I think he's a he's a known actor. I, I have to look him up, but 
Um, but everyone always remembers the line from the sequel because the sequel that's Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yes. Classic. And a happy new year. <laughs> 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 yeah. But that's what I mean by the sequel, just redoing all the fucking scenes. Like, it's just, it's just everything happens again. Like, uh, I hate that. But there's a new person that he learns to trust. <sighs> that stupid pigeon lady. <laughs> stupid pigeon lady. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Compared to old man Marley. Okay. I don't care for that's the pigeon lady. That's a whole lady. other thing. That's um, a whole other conversation. When we get to the to the end of Old Man Marley, I'll explain to you why I think pigeon right. lady is a waste of my time. Okay. And why Old Man Marley is all that I need in terms of uh, Kevin bonding with the older generation. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't realize, like, because like, as a kid, I told you, Home Alone 2, I was like, the better movie. Better. Home Alone right. 2 is better. And then, you know, same thing, Mighty Ducks 2. The movie's nowhere... Not even close to Mighty Ducks. Like, it's nuts. But as a kid, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's the one where they, they fight the, 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 the Icelandic, you know, like, oh the God. first Mighty Ducks, they win, like, a local tournament. And the second one, they, they, they're they the greatest hockey team in the world in America versus Iceland. Like, I was just like, what are we doing? All right. Uh, what sorry. about Karate Kid 2? Karate Kid 2 is great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not better than Karate Kid, but it's fucking great. That's so funny. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> But that's a sequel that doesn't do the same shit. That's a, it's like a new. It's, Daniel doesn't just go into another tournament. Like it's it's like a it's completely different. Mm. It, it has different themes. It has different ideas. It's not perfect, but it's not the same. All right, all right. Home Alone Two is the same. Before we get into the spoiler section, which I imagine is going to be all the fun stuff. Yeah. I just want to also acknowledge another moment in this movie that sort of just takes you back to a simpler time. Uh huh. A simpler time where you would trust a stranger and his friends to give you a ride to Chicago. Oh, the poker crew? In a truck <laughs> where there are no windows <laughs> and you don't know where they're taking you. Hey. I just... <laughs> but, all right, I agree. But if that stranger is John Candy, come <laughs> on. John Candy's like the most, the most lovable face in the world. Like. <laughs> You just want to hug that guy. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I would trust John Candy to the end of the year. I'm just saying if it's just a guy who you don't know to be John Candy. <laughs> That's true. That's um, just simpler time. Funny thing, John Candy kind of got screwed here with this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> not real, not like really screwed. So him and John Hughes are like best friends. Like okay. they, They've known each other forever. He's he's the one who put him in all the classic movies before I this. swear all these awesome people are all friends with each other. Like, how do I get in yeah. this club? <laughs> so... John was the one who, like, he he wrote this character. He's like, yeah, I'm going to let John Candy come in. And at this time, John Candy was so famous. It was, like, a big deal. Like, when he showed up in the movie, people were like, oh, shit. Like, he was the most famous dude in the movie. Yeah. Besides Joe Pesci. John Hughes is one of those writers. He's not really, he doesn't allow too much improv on set. Like, he kind of feels like, my script is my script. That's what we're going to do. Oh, interesting. Uh, John Candy, he didn't write any of his dialogue. Uh Every single thing John Candy said he improvised, he just told them the story. Like, he was like, you're going to take her on the truck. You know, but, like, he let him fit. And Captain O'Hara, they both, they're SCTV people. That's, you know, Eugene Levy, that whole crew. Oh, they're Canadian? Yeah, the whole Canadian comedy crew. They Aww. came up together. So him and Captain O'Hara have been doing sketch comedy since the 70s. Cute. So for them to get on, on improv in this was nothing. Yeah. So he was making up all that polka shit and polka, 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 <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And, <laughs> and that's why I just love that scene when she was just like... I'm sorry, you said you could help me? <laughs> like, like, I just, like, like, that's such good improv. Because she just listens, listens, listens. And she's like, yeah, what? <laughs> like, but yeah, awesome. the reason he got screwed was because he knew it was low budget. He told John Hughes he'd basically do it as a favor uh, just to pay him, like, scale, you know, SAG scale rate or whatever. So I think it was, like, $413 for one day. Which, for a star, like, John, that's nothing. That's like, yeah. It's like his underwear fucking budget. 
I don't know why I said underwear, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Marino but uh, they knew that they wanted a lot of him so because it was one day they made him work for 23 hours to get every single one of his things shot because if they did another they didn't have him for another day and uh, so he just the union allows that it's uh, I don't know I don't know I don't know the details but all I know is he didn't know it was gonna be a 23 hour day and by the end he was like guys can we fucking wrap this up Jesus um, but apparently everybody was excited because there was only two days on set that John Hughes like actually came on set because he was the writer you know he did he was directing the movie uh-huh. and they said it was one day early on and then when John Hughes came so, I mean when John Candy came so they were all just like excited they're like oh john hughes is coming today like he's gonna see what we've been doing you know wow all right that's not i was expecting the worst when he said he got screwed no i just think like if you're he literally didn't have to do it he was like yeah i'll do like him doing it for 1413 dollars is like me going to work on set for thirty dollars i got it yes i'm getting thirty dollars but <laughs> it's nowhere near even yeah. to what i, I thought would you were gonna be like this movie ruined his career no like, <laughs> no i mean he died like four years later but yeah uh yeah, no, no, it didn't ruin his career. He just like it went from being like, oh, I'll do this fun thing with my friend to by the end he was probably like, John, fuck you, I don't want to talk to you for a month. Right. Like, like, you know, like, like you All really right. took advantage of me here. Okay, <laughs> it's like you know, my friends like, hey, can you come up for three hours and help me move? And then you're there for eighteen hours and he doesn't give you food and you're yep. like, what? Fuck you, man! Like I came here to do something nice. Like, can you turn this into hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's what I mean. That's fun. Oh, just uh, I'm only bringing this up because it's it's a parallel to last week's episode, but. Remember, and while you were sleeping, how you said they did the train scene by filming it backwards with them rolling. Yes. Yeah, you know, instead of actually almost killing themselves, that's how they did the scene with Macaulay Culkin almost getting hit by their car. Oh. When he's walking down the street, and then it goes ah, and the car stops an inch from his face. Yeah, they did that backwards as well because because uh. it, it looks good. Like you see it, you see the car stop right before it hits him. Yeah. So yeah, they just they had him walk backwards, and then they back the car up. <sighs> <laughs> classic backwards yeah you shot. gotta do it so the movie is pretty predictable so we're not gonna surprise anybody with a spoiler section but we might as well just cut it off here and talk about the end of the movie as a spoiler so if you want to find out if kevin lives or dies tune in now <laughs> okay so now we get to the meat and potatoes of home alone the part that every single person remembers mm. the home invasion <laughs> uh, before we do the home invasion though ooh, cut it off we have one more scene of Kevin going to church and seeing old man Marley and interacting with him for the first time. Oh, yeah. What do you think of this scene? I love this scene. love this scene, too. This is the heart of the movie right here. Yeah, it really is. And I like it because they learn something from each other. Yeah. You're never too young to pass out. Right? Much. I like, yeah, I like that he's not just like the, the wise old man who tells him something and he learns it. Like, yeah. he he's having his own problems. And I like that it ties into Kevin's as well. Like it's about family. It's about not, you know, not appreciating having them around, regretting it, things like that. Exactly. Um, but I also just love his like just like his. He's just such a his delivery is so sweet. Like it's just like uh, like you live next to me, don't you? He's like yeah. He's like you know, you can say hello when you see me. You don't have to scream. Like mm-hmm. he's just like this old man who just gets the yell in his face. <laughs> and he's like aware of all the weird rumors the kids tell about him. And he's like yeah. a lot of things going on about me, but none of them are true. <laughs> The biggest twist would be if they were. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's feeling pretty down before that. And then after that is when he decides, like, He's his family, his house, all that's, like, worth fighting for. Like, that's his. Like, you know what I mean? So, Absolutely. And I kind of like it, too, because as far as Kevin knows, like, he's still never, ever going to see his parents again. Like, he doesn't... Like, I know I said this earlier, but because he doesn't think that they forgot him and that they'll be coming home soon, like, he just thinks this is life now. Mm-hmm. And I think that adds, like, a lot more stress and, the, the like, scariness. Like, 
Because he has to, every single night, think of a new way to get to scare these burglars away. So in his mind, he's like, do I do this forever now? You know, mm. like, is every single night me having a fight for my life, you know? Yeah. And then so I like where this was like almost like enough is enough. Like, you know, like I'm not I'm not going to be terrorized by these people. Oh, yeah. And I love it. The the score is so good. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that epic when he's walking out. It's like, dum, dum, ba, dum, 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 Yes. <laughs> That's great. So good, John oh, Williams. Man. Only like one hour. Yeah, that's the part where I was like, it's not my <laughs> And you know, it's the same thing. So Nightmare on Elm Street 1, a lot of people laugh because the end of that movie is, uh, you won't remember this by the time you watch it, but they find that they could bring Freddy Krueger in the real world out of their dreams. So like pull him out of their dreams because okay. that's where he has the, all his powers. Oh, okay. So, not sleeping. Too. So they're like, if we pull him out of our dreams, we could fuck him up. Right? Got it. So she devises all these booby traps around the house, and they're all very Home Alone-like. It also <laughs> came out six years before Home Alone, so they didn't oh, copy Home Alone. Interesting. But, uh, you know, like, she's setting up strings that he walks past, and something falls, hits him in the head. Like, all these Home Alone booby traps. And that movie's the same thing, where she has, like, 30 minutes to do it. And you're just like, no fucking way did you like rig a bowling ball up to like a two by four yeah. on a hinge that wasn't in your house before and all this shit so how cold is it in chicago for you to put water on your steps front steps and for it to become ice i actually think that's kind of believable oh when it's that cold like water freezes pretty fast all right I didn't know it was that cool. Yeah. <laughs> I picked the one part that yeah, like, yeah. actually, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I meant more just like, you know, the like rigging up the iron through the laundry yeah. chute with a, with a thing that, that rug up to the light switch that would no longer, right. you know... Setting up a zip line from your treehouse yeah, to yeah. the window. Yeah, okay. but honestly, but that's me watching it now. When I was a kid, I was just loving this shit. Like, it was so creative. You know, it's kids you know fighting back yeah and also i feel like this movie was definitely tapping into that 90s era of like kids rule parents drool you know like the reason bart simpson was so popular you know bart simpson said eat my shorts and told you you know like he, he talked back we kind of talked about this i forgot i mean oh the, the frankie muniz movie uh big fat liar oh yeah yeah like it's kind of just like that like this was the kind of that era where in media all our commercials were like that like kids are awesome adults are lame and so like this is like this kid is kicking the adults ass oh, like, totally. you, know, you gotta love it and they're bad adults yeah they're real bad adults and then we just go into some of the most over the top <laughs> horrifically violent oh man <laughs> i love they don't do it anymore but um a few years ago the the youtube channel that does honest trailers they uh -huh. did like five six videos called honest action where they had a doctor assess action movies to figure out how many times the characters would die oh if they actually went through it and they did an episode on home alone and like uh, by the end of the movie like marv and harry each would have died four times like Dang. like if you took an iron to your skull from that height yes you might not die but you're probably gonna die oh. so like it's just it, it'll show them like slip on the stairs and it would be like likely back fracture like you know like it, it tells you everything that would have happened if you really like you know if you shot someone with a with a bb gun and that close in to the, the head it's not gonna kill them but it'll it's gonna break skin and they're gonna bleed and yeah. like it's gonna be gross like yeah. you know it's but anyway i mean it's pretty easy to tell but the dp actually said he just watched tons of Looney Tunes to figure out how to shoot this action oh. because he's uh, like, that's the gold standard for physical comedy in terms of getting hurt. Yeah. And so they just knew they had to make it look like it hurt, sound like it hurt and be as over the top in terms of height 
you know, you slip, you fly in the air two feet instead of normally when you would probably just hit the ground. You know, so over-exaggerated movements, over-exaggerated sound effects, and just over-exaggerated uh, selling of the pain. So right. if your hand gets burned, you go, ah, and you jump around. Like, you know, like in real life, you might be, ah, fuck, you know, like. So I have to. They were, um, oh, God. Oh, I have to imagine that they had stunt doubles for those guys, right? Oh, big time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. after all you explained about Pesci, like, he's not. No, they all had stunt doubles. Okay, like, great. And, and uh, Macaulay Culkin's stunt double was a little person. He was like 30 years old. He just was really small. Mm. And uh, they were saying in the, the Netflix show that it's so funny because when it came to shooting this stuff, this is the quote unquote the funniest stuff in the movie. You know, other stuff is funny, but when you sell the movie on the end of it, them getting hit with stuff, that's, that's the meat of the movie. That's what everyone finds the funniest. It's the finale. They said filming that f- was the scariest shit for because it was so easy to get hurt so every single because all those falls are real they're just not happening to joe pesci and daniel stern they're happening to other people so he's like every time they had to fall like throw themselves off the steps like that was real those are real steps jesus and uh and like the the stunt guys they're in the documentary too they didn't give a fuck they were like no it was fun everyone's crazy they're not worried (laughs) about it and then it would cut to like one of the producers they're like don't listen to them every stunt person is insane He's like, their head will fall off and they'll pick it up and put it under their arm and be like, another take? You know, like, like, he's like, like, yes, it was scary. Don't listen to that. I'm like, wow. So, yeah, these guys were just taking damage, like, left and right. You have to have a certain mindset. Yeah. For... So, like, the, the, the DP was saying that, like, they would, they would yell action, he would fall, and then, like, it would just be, you would hear a pin drop. Everyone would be dead silent. They'd all run over. And then when they saw that it was okay, then everyone would be like, okay. Let's try that again. Like they were, they were, they were so nervous about it, which is hilarious because this is like the silliest, funniest. Like yeah. Yeah, I love this part, but I love it, man. Like as as over the top as the hits are, you fucking feel them them shit. Oh yeah. Like, and it is. I think the sound work is really what what sells a lot of it. Like absolutely, the thuds are so loud. Like the blowtorch burning his hair. You just hear it. Like it's just so good. And even I don't know like how you film the scene of the stunt double getting hit in the head with the iron. Like, clearly it wasn't a real iron, mm-hmm. but, like, the way it bounced off his head, I'm like, there was mm-hmm. weight to that. Like, mm-hmm. they just have to, and, you know, so I just think they filmed it in a way where you just, you feel the hits, you know? Even, like, little ones, like, when uh, when Daniel Stern hits Joe Pesci with a crowbar because he has the spider on him. Yeah. Like, I feel his, like, sternum. Like, I'm like, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> that spider was the true hero of That's this right, movie because that was all by chance that was <laughs> yeah. the one thing he did not plan yeah that like that got him out of a gym because he he planned for them to trip on the thing but he, yeah. didn't, he didn't know that he would jump over if him, it but... weren't for that spider it would have been the end of that movie wow, that was great apparently with that scene they had to do that scream in post-production because he was too scared to scream with a spider on his face like mm. that because he didn't want to like startle the spider and have yeah. it start freaking out yeah so they just had to film him with his mouth open and then and then later <laughs> later later in the book he had to go in and do the yell. I don't like it. That yell is so good. It's so fun. I don't know why. I know it's coming, but it's it's so loud and obtrusive. I would have asked for a pay raise to have a spider <laughs> on my face. I forgot to mention this earlier, and I don't go too much into it because it's not that crazy. But what I found out with the house was they found the exterior after looking for ages. Like mm-hmm. they think it took them forever to find the perfect house, and then they found it, and then. The interior, they built that entire house from scratch in the gymnasium of the high school they were filming in. So that whole house no was all way. set. Yeah, it was just built right in the gym. They were like, oh, this is big enough. And uh, I just found that like crazy. That That's how they, they did it. What? Every, yeah, that whole house was a fully functioning like two-story house. 
not with plumbing and shit, but like, you know, like you could open the front door, go upstairs, go in any of the rooms, but it was inside the gymnasium of this high school. But the exterior was an actual house. Yeah. So everything they shot outside was shot because, you know, they found the house, but someone lived there. Like they weren't going to like kick them out. They weren't going to build all these (laughs) booby traps. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, so when it came to the, when they go in the neighbor's house and it's all flooded, yeah. that was actually, it's pretty ingenious. They, um, the school had a swimming pool, so they actually just built that set over the swimming pool. And so whenever it needed to be submerged, they just built it so it looked oh, like it was a basement underwater. Oh my God. Because otherwise they were like, anytime you try and build a set with water, you end up fucking your set up. But because it was like on water, it just made more set. Like the water dripped back into the empty pool. And they didn't have to like it was. It's just genius filmmaking. So a bunch of Einstein's on the set. What the hell? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> that that amount. Of, I didn't have anything that to connect that to, but I just remembered. I forgot to say that earlier. That's amazing. So sorry. Was that was the old man's house then that was flooded? It was. He. I actually don't know. It could have been another neighbor that they uh, that the old man just saw them go into. Okay. Like he could have just because saw- I was mad confused. I was like, was he at church for that long? <laughs> like- no, just he's his next door neighbor. So I always just assumed he was like out because he's always outside shoveling all fucking yeah. day every day. So I assume he just saw Kevin like sprinting to that house or something. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he had to have just seen something and he's like, why is the little boy who I'm friends with now scared? You know, like right. Uh, so I never really questioned why he was okay. there. But yeah, so after Kevin fucks all these people up, he, he tries to run away to the neighbor's house. He gets he gets outsmarted by the wet bandits, and I like that too because as yes, these guys, these two criminals are stupid as shit, but they're not like like they are able to outsmart Kevin. Like mm-hmm. I like that he's not a genius, and they're not so dumb they can't tie their shoes. Right. Like there's like a nice middle ground between the two of them. So I I do like at the end that as smart as he was and everything he thought of, they still were like. All right, let's just go around and get them that way. You yeah. Know? And, uh, yeah. If they catch them, they that's when they start telling them about all the horrible stuff they're gonna do to them mm-hmm. uh, to get revenge. Which honestly, for everything he did to them, I don't like. Uh, like he burned his head with a blowtorch. Like that's why it's like, mad scary to you know think about like that. what they'll do as revenge. Yeah. Because yeah, it's one thing if he just like tripped them and like you know this and that, but like like burned them with a blowtorch, shot him yeah. in the dick with a BB he, gun. What do you call? Branded uh, him. Branded him. Yeah, they dropped the iron on his head. Like, <laughs> and then yeah, old man Marley comes in to save the day with a mm-hmm. double shovel shot. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And then uh, yeah, we get the final little sweet moment. I know it's not like a huge, like nothing really happens too much story wise, but I don't know if it's a combination of the music, the way it was shot, and then just as good as much as I love Captain O'Hara and Macaulay Culkin, but like I, when they have their little hug at the end, like it just gets me. Yeah. I just get choked, choked up. I'm just like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I knew you were getting choked up. You tried to hide it. Uh, That was awesome. Yeah. I love that moment. I I do like that. She gets that one moment with him because her journey was so hard Mm -hmm. before the family shows up. Like, you know, I like that. She gets to come home and just have that like one moment. Like I made it. My son's okay. Right. And all that. Yeah. That, that is nice. And like you said earlier, you know, it, just seems to him that his wish came true yeah and his pa- his fan he got his family back. yeah it was almost like he did the right thing like he he defended his house he helped old man marley reconnect with his family and then yeah. like now he's getting like rewarded by the universe for it right one thing that i did not remember for the end was for some reason i thought that there was like a whole wrap-up scene where a cop came over and explained to the family like what no had, had gone down that always frustrated me as a kid because i was always <laughs> like tell them how cool you are like you know like mm. like like they're because they're super impressed that kevin didn't burn the house down bought milk and bought groceries yes which for a seven eight year old yeah that is actually pretty fucking awesome right but like i was like you guys don't even know like yeah. you don't even know what this kid can do like yes he picks up the gold tooth on the floor but like no she's not gonna know no what because that is. by the, and then home alone 
Stallone too fucking shows us that he never tells them. They don't know. Like, like nothing ever comes of it. They yeah. they all act like no- nothing ever happened. There was never a first movie. Yeah. That's um, kind of frustrating. Yeah. Apparently, the first cut ended just on that line of him then being like, so what did you do all week? And he was like, just horsed around. And mm-hmm. it ended on like a cut scene of like, you scamp. But then they decided to film that extra scene of him going to the window, seeing old man Marley and ended on a little more heart, huh. which I think is a great idea. Like it would have been, it would have been too much like a sitcom to end it on a freeze frame of him saying something cute. Yeah. You know, like, so I, I love to see old man Marley, you know, reconnect with the son. I never noticed this, but when I was reading it, apparently in the beginning of the movie, old man Marley, when they're telling the story about him, he's got this huge cut on his arm and he yes. looks scary. And then in the church scene, he only has a bandaid on it. And yes. then in the last scene, he's completely healed. And it's supposed to be like a, like a visual way to show that like his life has been healed by reconnecting with his son. Wow. Yeah. It's also a very weird place to have an injury like that. Yeah, you could be cut, filleting a fish. And, I guess you know, so. Like, <laughs> it's not that it, crazy. This is probably a stretch, but like, is it because like Christ was nailed to the cross like that he had like a... Because <laughs> it was like in the middle yeah, of his hand. It was like a stigmata. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's hilarious. They never went this far to actually like fully write this but john hughes said his original idea which i think would have made the movie so bad was that uh it would have been a twist that uncle frank was the true villain and that he hired harry and marv to rob his brother wow so like and and, and kill kevin which i think is like extra. okay so, that's so, too much so it was supposed to be like he's the one who like threw out the ticket and, and got them like to forget kevin and like that's too much the the robbing stuff i would have been able to buy where it was like he didn't expect kevin to stay behind yeah and then he's like a scumbag who wanted to like rob his own family and then so that was gonna be like the but he quickly threw that away and was interesting like, like, nah, I don't know. still made him suck though yeah <laughs> should wow. we have a little fun with best words before we wrap it up oh yeah so let's just do the most obvious one mm-hmm. at the same time all right best words Oh, <laughs> I said it too fast. Jesus Christ. I thought you were going to say it right away. <laughs> the name of our segment first. Oh, okay. Was that what you were going to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, I said prank, but yeah. Oh, yeah. They're definitely traps, not pranks. Well, a prank is like... my best will be... Well, also, I, I worded mine different. I said effective trap, so I actually based them on like effectiveness of actually keeping the burglars out of the house. Okay, I like that. because As, Instead of like my favorite. Yeah, my my best and worst align with that okay, description. Cool. Uh, what's your best? My best is the cardboard people. Oh, that's I pretty good. I love that scene. Yeah, that is an effective it's way so to do it. so freaking smart. Yeah. And, you know, they're not going to be paying so close attention that to realize that the rotation, like the repetition in the movements. Yeah. I just thought it was so smart. Apparently a cut character thing was the mom. You're supposed to, in one draft, you knew the parents' jobs. Mm-hmm. And the mom was a like a fashion designer, and that's why they had those mannequins and shit in the house because oh. she would she like designed outfits on them. Because I thought too, I was like, why did they have those mannequins? Like I thought that this time watching it, like I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's not an everyday household thing. You don't just have two mannequins. I don't care how rich you are, like. <laughs> but if you it's know, part of your job, there are hundreds of thousands of people asking on the internet, "What do these parents do for a living?" Yeah. you just answered one of them. Yeah, I forgot what the other one was, but it's just something oh, like, you just forgot. Yeah. On the- <laughs> it's on the imdb trivia fucking. all right that's good though what's Mine, your best heating up the doorknob Ooh. i thought that would if i was trying to break into a house and i grabbed a hot doorknob and had branded on my i'd be like fuck out of here like yeah. i would just assume there was worse to come you know what i mean yeah. like like that would truly deter me like i would be like i'm not 
I don't know. Like, like if someone shot me in the dick with a pellet gun, I'd be fucking furious. Yeah. But I wouldn't think it was this like genius. I would be like, I'm just gonna not let him shoot me again. You know. Right. But like, I would just think if he thought of that, I don't know what else he's got planned for me. You know. <laughs> that's a good. That's it. That's why I thought after Pesci gets his uh, head burned, fucking the way he like bursts through the door angrily, I was like, that's some balls. Like, what if there's another trap right there? You know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought doorknob was a bad genius, Whoa. and also in terms of effectiveness, like. And also, you don't risk committing murder like you do with the blowtorch. Mm. <laughs> like, like that could easily just be like, I killed the guy. Yeah. Like, like, I just like, like, I was trying to scare him away and I murdered a man. What a twist <laughs> that would be. My worst was the nail on uh, the stair. Okay. It's decently effective, though. It is, but it was just so painful for me to watch. <laughs> I'm not I, judging I, these I, by the same criteria, obviously. I love I said... We, I did mine by effective trap, and you were like, sweet, both mine align with that perfectly. <laughs> and then now you're like, I'm not doing effective. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's go back on the tape if you don't believe uh-huh. it. Kevin! So I actually based them on like effectiveness of actually keeping the burglars out of the house. Okay, I like that. because As, Instead of like my favorite. Yeah, my best and worst align with that okay, description. Cool. Kevin! Well, all right, my uh, bad, but yeah, that's my worst. Yeah, we don't have the same one. Uh, my worst is covering Joe Pesci with feathers. <laughs> sure, it's funny. It's not gonna after after what you've already done to him, he's not stopping after that. <laughs> what? That's, it's so funny when you say it like that. Like after <laughs> all you did. Feathers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I was just like, dude. Like you've already burned his head, branded his arm, fucking shot him in the dick. Now he's covered in feathers. Like it's if you started with feathers, sure. You can't do that. Can't be your fourth yeah. thing. You know, it's like that's so funny. Um, it is funny though because I wrote that on here, and then I don't know if it's true, but one of the IMDb trivia's was that Chris Columbus always has said that the feathers were the weakest stuff, and he wished they did something a little. Oh really? Yeah, he just thought that it didn't match the elevation of all the pranks, like uh. to go from like with the things I just said to getting the feathers, then getting hit with a paint can. Like it's just like it's it doesn't. It doesn't. It's not a. It doesn't. But I think it works very nicely when they are reunited in the house for the first time <laughs> yeah. and look at each other. Like the visual. Oh, you're just is like great. a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought All it right, worked cool. there. Sweet. We might even have the same next one, but we're um, not doing it on three because that, that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. We could try it again now that you know how it works. All right. Best, Best worst, worst family, family member. member. Oh. <laughs> nice. Um, I put a caveat that says mom doesn't count. Okay. For mine. You could do whatever you want. Yeah, it's fine. I just I just figured there's no way the mom's not the best one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I said I'm not picking the, the mom. Yeah, that's fine. It, she's easy. not even on my list. Burn! <laughs> Damn! Um, mine is Uncle Frank. For worst. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were doing best. Oh, sorry. I was like, I was like what? <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, I said the same thing. I want to give it to Buzz, but Buzz at least is a 14-year-old. It's like, yeah. Uncle Frank should know better. He definitely should. Yeah. I just don't understand why why he's allowed to tell the kids what to do. <laughs> I get why he's allowed to, Like, I get the movie thing. Like, they're watching a gangster movie. Oh, yeah, he tells yeah, yeah. a nine-year-old you can't watch this. But I just don't get this whole, like... Acting like your parents' kids are your kids. Like, your, your your siblings' kids are your kids. Yes. Like, I, I don't know. He, he called Kevin something. You he little was jerk. Like, you little jerk. And then, you know, everyone gets silence yeah. in the pan. So look what you did, you little jerk. Yeah, but I don't know if it's just my culture, but no matter... You can hit... I don't know. <laughs> I knew where to go with that. <laughs> you can hit your sister's kids. You just can't <laughs> call them names. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know who would allow their brother or sister, whoever, to call their kid like they would call their kid out like that. Exactly. It reminded me of the fucking bringing down the house. Remember when? Oh yeah, the she, sister. Yeah, when she was just like, yeah, and he has these fucking retard kids. I don't know how she said she didn't say that, yeah. but it was like something. I was just like, yo, f- tell your sister to go fucking take a hike. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because with me, it's like I have a million aunts and uncles, and you know, there were times where they would they would watch me, where I'd be like at my cousins for the day, and at those times, yes. It was totally fine for if I did something wrong to be yelled at by my aunts and uncles. You know, like that's happened where I've done something wrong and they say they'd yell at me or reprimand me. Yeah. But if we were ever in a group scenario, like a Thanksgiving or Christmas or some shit. Hell to the no. I never did I act up and then have like my aunt start talking. Like my mom was there. My mom took care of it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it was so that's where I was just like, yo, tell your uncle your fucking brother to chill the fuck out. Yeah. Like, like, like yo, yo, you gotta problem my kid, you talk to me. Like like it's it's one thing if like you're staying with Uncle Frank and you're being a brat and he's like, Hey, you're being a brat, get out of here. Right. Sure. But yeah, that's where I was just like, yo, fuck this uncle. Like yeah. I was just like like don't fucking call my son a jerk who's eight years old. Like also a jerk is like the like, Yeah. That's such like an adult thing to call. It's like I was a kid a jerk. Like, you yeah. know, like kids could be inconsiderate. They could be like you know, but just like a jerk just to me implies like like an old asshole. Yes. <laughs> like, like Frank's the jerk. I agree. So yeah, I wanted to give it to Buzz, but I had to do Frank. I just couldn't. That actor is popular, right? I feel like he always Frank? plays a jerk. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't think off the top of my head, but I've seen him in some. You're the jerk man, <laughs> the character, not yeah. the person. Oh yeah. Well, the jerk store called. They're running out of you. Who's your best? I'm gonna go with the sister. Uh, and I should clarify the sister that is actually cares about Kevin's well-being. It's my same answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the only one who like seems to, who like yeah. even like talks shit to Buzz of like like really you don't care at all yeah. that Kevin's missing. Aren't you even? a little bit yeah yeah so. i can't remember which sister that is because <laughs> it's, it's the brunette oh, okay because there's two of them but yeah the blonde is like we call you a debutant i don't know <laughs> the word she also, used. his other brother the one who calls him a disease he barely has any lines <laughs> yes. uh that's uh he's older pete from pete and pete on nickelodeon oh. uh classic 90s tv show nice so uh, yeah there's older pete he was, there was pete and pete was after this so and that show he was older so i was like oh, oh cool little young pete <laughs> pete and pete was funny man it's a good show. That's cool. Cool. So I think we just finished Best Worst because we had both the same shit. Yep. Called it. Boom. Beyond? Beyond the credits. <laughs> so the whole family goes to New York. Oh, and I mean, the whole family goes to Florida. <laughs> and Kevin goes to New York. And he meets Donald Trump. Man. And he goes to the Empire State Building and eats a pizza pie and goes <laughs> to FAO Shorts. What a downgrade. You go from Paris to Florida. I know. <laughs> That is what starts the whole second movie, too, where he's just pissed because he's like, why are we going to Florida? It's Christmas. Like, there's not even snow. <laughs> and then that's why he wants, he loves New York because he's like, ooh, the tree. Nice. Uh. Do we even do Beyond the Credits? Because I we've both seen the sequel. And we, the- yeah, I think let's just talk the series as a whole. And the internet has a hilarious fan theory Beyond the Credits, which is great. Ooh. I already heard about it before I did my research. But, oh, uh, man. The last thing with Home Alone 2 that I, I mentioned earlier that I forgot to bring back off is my beef with the Pigeon Lady uh, oh. versus Old Man Marley. Uh-huh. So, A, it's the same fucking plot line, so I don't know why we even did it again. I don't know why we needed to see have him see an old person who he's scared of just to learn that they're nice. Yep. Like, why didn't he remember that from... Why didn't he go, hey, I shouldn't yell, yell, run away from her. Old Man Marley taught me that I should be nice to old people. Because he's in New York now. Okay, fair enough. And then when we finally learn her backstory, I think it's fucked. 
dog shit and stupid. <laughs> like, old man Marley, his story was very realistic. It was something that could happen to anybody. It wasn't over the top. He was just about him getting into a fight with his son, saying something that crossed the line, and then being too scared to try and fix it. That perfectly paralleled Kevin's story with his family. He hated his family. He said something that was way over the top. He wished that they would never come back again. They disappeared. Right. And he learned. So they're, they're parallel. These two stories. There's a reason they're both in the same movie because they both have the same theme and they learn from each other. Now, all of a sudden, this lady, she's homeless because the man that she loved her left her and it drove her insane and that she never wanted to be around people anymore. So she lived with the pigeons. What are we doing? <laughs> Come on. Someone broke up with her, so she went she became homeless. Is that what it was? That's exactly what it is. I even double looked it up before I said this because I didn't want to fucking Why did I be think wrong. it had a deeper like No, it's just that she didn't trust people, so she lived with the pigeons. And when he finally asked her why, it says, I loved a man once and he he left me for someone else, and I knew then that I could never trust people ever again. And now she lives with and then t- so uh, personally I think that's dumb i just don't think that's good writing i don't Ye- think it's believable <laughs> i don't think somebody would become homeless because they got broken up with yeah like, like old man marley didn't live in the sewers because his son <laughs> left him he still had a house and like a life he just didn't have a son right so she lived in the park and only spent her time with pigeons but then on top of that it has nothing to do with the rest of the movie the movie is not about your lover leaving you like that doesn't connect to anything kevin's going through at all so it just seemed like they wanted to write another sympathetic story and they just wrote one without connecting it to the movie we're watching. Old Man Marley's themes parallel what Kevin's going yeah. through the entire movie. When Kevin gets better, Old Man Marley gets better. Like, they have the same problem and it shows you that the same problem can affect adults and children. It's It shows you that it's not a Kevin problem, it's a human problem, not respecting your like like not being there like turning your back on family it could happen to anybody and kevin could turn into that old man if he doesn't learn the error of his ways okay can i argue again because i would argue that maybe now that i'm thinking about it that this woman wasn't meant to take the place of that man like uh, not meant to take the place of old man marley that's his name right yeah i because i do remember now that the whole point of Home Alone 2 was because he helped save the toy store, he actually ended up giving the money to her. Remember? No, he doesn't give the money to her. He gives her the doves because the man who owns the toy store gives her two doves and says, give this to your best friend and that means the two of you will be together forever. Right. And that's how he teaches her to trust humans again. Oh. He, he's nice. To, so I'm not saying she doesn't have an arc. Like she, right. she goes through, I don't trust people. I meet this young boy. He gives me a nice gift. Now I learn that people are good. Yeah. That's an arc, sure. Uh, my argument is, A, I don't buy that one breakup would turn her into a pigeon lady. Okay. And B, I think it's just not as good writing because that has nothing to do with Kevin. It has nothing to do with what Kevin's going through. He's not, It's not like he's mean to someone in the beginning and then he learns, oh, I should really be does kinder. He, does he lose trust in his family because they left him once again? No, all that really happens in the beginning is he's in a school choir singing and then Buzz makes fun of him. And everybody laughs. So it goes from everybody thinking he's a good singer to everyone going, ah, Kevin's stupid. And then he gets mad and pushes Buzz, just like the first movie, <laughs> knocks everything over. And then everyone goes, you're a jerk. You shouldn't have pushed your brother. And they banish him to his room. The same fucking thing as the first All movie. Right. The same thing. And then they go to the airport. And then because he wants batteries for his fucking Walkman or whatever the hell, he gets on the wrong plane by accident. 
I really don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> I like it's not. I'm not saying it sucks. No, I'm just saying I just anyone don't who thinks remember it. Home Alone Two is better than Home Alone One. I will argue till the day comes home that it is a worse movie. I don't think that I can fairly defend it at all, or side with you because I haven't seen it in so long. And. Donald Trump did it and got a paycheck. Oh, all right. <laughs> let's just skip it. And if we're gonna, you know, <laughs> no political stance on the cast. <laughs> Fail. Um, all I'm saying, he's a bad actor. That's not a political <laughs> stance. I don't think Trump should be in movies. He's uh, not a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the sequel has Tim Curry. There's good stuff in the. Like, I'm not saying don't waste your time. I'm not saying. Oh yeah. Like, it, like I'm not saying the sequel sucks. Don't watch it. I'm saying. It's not better. Yeah. And I'm willing to argue that. Especially every time I watch it again, I'm just like, fuck, they copied that in the second one and just did it worse. <laughs> like, I just think, like, Pigeon Lady. And as a kid, I loved Pigeon Lady. Like, right. I, I barely watched Home Alone. Online. I didn't even know who Old Man Marley was. I was like, Pigeon Lady is the lady who Kevin learns to be nice from. Yeah. But then once I saw that he learned it a year before, I was like, Kevin, grow up. <laughs> like, that's just my problem with that sequel is no, but everyone acts like they didn't go through the first movie. And yeah. that's my biggest beef. Like, why? Like, Well, I, they had to turn it around so quickly. That is true, but just, I don't know. Yeah. But it does have some great shots of New York. You know, I love things that are shot in New York and watching Kevin uh, do his uh, rounds around New York is really fun. Yeah. I'm not saying that the third Home Alone is like amazing because uh -huh. it's not, but it is for someone who's enjoyed if you enjoy one and two i think just give home alone three a shot like if you have nothing to do you know just yeah. like throw right. on movie. I, I, I talk a lot of shit about it but to be honest i also haven't seen it in like Ugh. 15 years it's literally the same thing as this movie i know I, I remember the beats of it like i remember the story and stuff i just don't remember like the dialogue yeah. like i remember scarlett johansson's in it like i yeah. remember i remember the like the one guy gets a lawnmower on his head like i remember the traps were a lot crazier yeah. the one guy gets like he puts his feet in like the glue buckets and then he's got like those two buckets on his feet for the rest of the movie right. um, uh the one guy gets hit in the nuts with a uh, <laughs> golf club yep and says you smacked my winky uh <laughs> so i'm i'm not the biggest fan of that haven't seen it in a long time but i will say of all the sequels it's the only one after the second one to be released in theaters and to be written by john hughes mm, so john, I did not know john that. hughes actually wrote the third one also huh. but when you look at John Hughes' filmography, Home Alone was kind of his last like great movie. Mm. He kind of uh, he, tr he none of his movies were big financial hits. Well, he was getting old. Yeah, not really. He died in, when he was fifty. Oh, never mind. <laughs> he died really young. I was like eighties. That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> he died in two thousand nine, and he was like in his fifties. Dang. So, yeah, this was like his like late. 30s early 40s mm. i mean still pretty great yeah and i'm not i haven't actually seen a lot of these so i'm not sitting here saying like everything he made sucked but he just didn't have a smash hit the way all his movies were smash hits like yeah. home alone was the last time he made something that permeated the culture like his next movie was curly sue like nobody knows what the hell that is mm. you know like no, nothing really hit right so yes he did write home alone 3 but it was kind of in his period where he all his movies weren't making money like people weren't getting getting reviews yeah so i think he might have went back to the home alone well just because he had nothing else to, you know like yeah <laughs> he had nothing else to hold on to i would say i don't think this franchise needs to be picked up but if for some reason it will it does which i'm sure is something that's been floated floated around it would be nice to see like a girl you know being left home alone uh -huh. maybe it has like a different vibe i don't know if like yeah. somebody could fix that so <laughs> the new home alone's already in production 
What? <laughs> and it is going to be a girl. No, it's not. Oh. Um, I don't know what it... By all accounts, it looks fucking stupid. So, as you know... Is it straight to... Is Are they planning on releasing this? Straight in- to Disney+. Plus. Oh. So, now... Because Disney now owns Home Alone because they right. bought Fox. Yeah. It's never been a Disney movie. It's never been a Disney property. But now, just like everything fucking else is, <laughs> it's a Disney property. And he's so, very happy about yeah. it. Jesus Christ. Who the hell wants to watch all their media come from one company? <laughs> so, Home Alone's owned by Disney now. Hence why we watched on Disney Plus last night. Yep. So, they're making a new one. I don't know. I read the description. It sounded stupid as shit. It's about a boy who... He's like... Goes against these robbers to try and get to treasure before they do. Treasure? Yeah, or something. It was real bad. Treasure? Um, the, We're talking about treasure? Yeah. <laughs> In 2020? So, so that was that, and then the only part that got me a quarter bit excited is one of the writers is Mikey Day from SNL, who huh. m- makes great sketches. Yeah. So that gave me a little bit of hope, but um, all in all, I don't know. I'm not that excited. And then in February, they announced that Macaulay Culkin's going to be in it, Oof. and that all these other characters are coming back, but they didn't say whether or not the actors were, but they're like, Buzz is going to be in it, and Uncle Frank, and like like all this stuff, and Macaulay Culkin will be back. But that wasn't in the original... Press release? Yeah, so I'm wondering if that came later, where if they were like, yo, this will sell better if we get like... Oh, totally. Like, I, I wonder if that treasure shit was before that, because when I read it on, on Wikipedia, it was like, in 2019, they announced they're going to start making this. Then they said they paused it during COVID, and then the next thing was they announced that Macaulay Culkin will be coming in. Production has restarted. So I wonder if like COVID made them like rethink uh, what it's going to be. Interesting. Oh, wait. No. Okay. So I was, I was a little bit wrong. I just looked it up. This is what's written on Wikipedia. So oh, okay. take this as a grain of salt. But the story is it sees Ellie Kemper and Rob Delaney play a wife and a husband who, in order to save their home from financial ruin, go to war with a kid who has stolen a priceless heirloom. Sounds like the least Home Alone thing I've ever read. Yeah. So, like, I just read that and I was like, I don't know. It sounds like you're slapping the name brand Home Alone on a random movie. Yeah. Oh, shit. Home Alone uh, 5 is about a girl Home Alone. Wait, hold on. There's There was a Home Alone 4? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have to talk about Home Alone 3 like that was the last time they touched this franchise. No, that was the last time it ended in theaters. Everything else was direct-to-video. Oh, my God. So- Wait, <laughs> That's what I was saying. I was like, I, I was like, I'm talking shit about Home Alone three, but at least it came out in theaters and John Hughes wrote it. Right. Home Alone four and five are like trash city. I'm not even aware that they exist. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Home Alone. <laughs> Home Alone four was in 2002. It's called Taking Back the House. This one actually is about Kevin again, but it's a different actor who plays him. Mm-hmm. And what's so funny about this one is uh, French Stewart plays Marv, Daniel Stern's character. You're so confused. Yes. So, you know who French Stewart is. Yeah. From Third Rock from the Sun. Wait. <laughs> no. The actor French Stewart. Uh, Clock Stoppers. He was the guy. Who? I don't know anybody beside Cliff. Wow. Nobody. See, now I'm going to look like the maniac who bring up <laughs> Clock I only brought up Clock Stoppers because Masha brings it up all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I brought it out as a reference that I, everybody I, would know. I, I call this name Cliff. That's his name and bring it on. <laughs> like, it's not even his real name. Uh... French Stewart. You know who he is. Fred French. Stewart. French Stewart. <laughs> French. He's on Third Rock from the Sun. You know who he is. Oh, yeah. Okay, got it, got it, got it. <laughs> oh, this is way too long. Wait, he's in Home Alone 3. No, he's not. He is. No, he's not. 
Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My bad, most, it's my bad. We're making the most useless podcast right now. Kevin! This is totally not even worth it anymore. No, come but on! But now that I'm there... <laughs> So I think the people who made this movie fucked up because I watched the trailer, right? Yep. A new little boy plays Kevin. French Stewart plays Marv, who is Daniel Stern's character. Not Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern. Got it, got it. The tall one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they dressed his character in all the same clothes that Harry wears. Oh. So I think they fucked up and thought Harry was Marv when they made that movie. Because he's dressed exactly in the same clothes. The beanie hat. Everything and but he plays Marv. He's not playing Harry. I think someone they screw up the continuity or whatever? I just think they. I just I just think Harry was Harry and Marv. Like I just think the other one and they, no one like looked it up. Like oh. again, I don't know if this is true. I didn't even see the movie, but if you watch the trailer, he goes, "Hello, Marv." And because Harry's not in that one, Marv has a sidekick, and you know who plays her? The lady from Bringing Down the House. Yeah. Sorry, I've looked it uh, up. Treason. She came up. That's crazy. I'm supposed to be teaching you this stuff. I know. This is bonus. I know. You're looking it up. (laughs) So that was 2002. And then 10 years later was Home Alone 5 called Home Alone the Holiday Heist. Whoa. And apparently, I I never heard about this one until just now, but I'm looking at the cover and it has a girl on it. So I think that's Home Alone the Girl movie. That's That you wanted to see. (laughs) You said you wanted to see it. No, I know. But it's funny when you say Home Alone the Girl movie. But that one has nothing to do with the McAllisters. It's like Home Alone 3 where it's like she's just a new character with Home Alone. Interesting. It's funny how you go from, yeah, Home Alone, I just have known it for all my life, to like Home Alone 5 being like, they made this? Yeah. Like, people dedicated weeks of their lives to making this <laughs> weeks, film. Weeks, like months. <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably a year. <laughs> But I just love that I thought you knew that, so I was like, oh, no, that's what happens in Home Alone 5. And you're like, there's a 4? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a... I learned so much. So, yes, we did get our Home Alone. So, to me, it seems like this new one was going to be like Home Alone 5, where it was just (laughs) a completely different story, something about heirlooms and a family fighting a kid, whatever. And then, I don't know, it was just like, in February, it announced that Macaulay Culkin will reprise his role as Kevin McAllister, and Buzz will be in it, and all this shit. And so I was like, oh, I guess they're trying to... I think they're realizing, you know, with Cobra Kai and everything doing that, it's... You know, we just saw the craft crash and burn. Yes. I think if they put some if they put some of those actresses from the first movie in that sequel, even in cameos, people would have seen it more. Yeah. So I think they might be catching on to being like, I don't think people want to see just a movie called Home Alone that's not Home Alone. Yep. They want to see Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. So that, that's my uh, thing. Totally. So yeah, that's that's where we're at with sequels. The fan theory I was talking about, though, yes. uh, you're not going to understand these names, but I'll explain it to you at the end. So okay. one fun fan theory is that um, as Kevin gets older, he uh, starts to withdraw within himself a little bit. He changes his name to John Kramer. He, oh my god he gets diagnosed with cancer and realizes that people are not appreciating life as they should be so he uses the skills he learned as a little boy to devise these crazy er- elaborate traps to trap people in them to get them to appreciate their living life which is the plot of saw so oh. <laughs> people uh, i didn't make that up but uh this fan theory is all over the internet where they That's say crazy uh, kevin McAllister grew up to become john kramer because everything like all these crazy ways he's like fucking with the robbers they're all these elaborate torture devices and saw is all about him putting people in these crazy torture 
scenarios. Wow. And so they were like, every, everything he learned as a little boy, he took he took with him as, as he got older. And That's into insane. <laughs> Sorry, I heard Kramer and I thought Seinfeld. Oh. So I was like, that's a weird one, but no. all right, go on. <laughs> But wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think like that's that. That's really fun. <laughs> Whoa. Um, that's awesome. And two other funny things I found. Um, I think you might have seen one of these, but did you see that Google Assistant commercial from two years ago with Macaulay Culkin? The Home Alone one where yes. he, he basically recreates all the scenes from the movie, but by using Google Assistant. Yes. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, great move. Yeah, that was a great, like, bringing back Home Alone. And then I just found this. There was this web series from, like, 2014 called Drivers. And uh, they only seem to have made four episodes, but Drivers is a fake app like Uber or Lyft. So it's supposed to be like a funny series about people getting these cars and then the characters are crazy, you know, like that. But the very first episode, uh, Macaulay Culkin is in it. And about halfway through the episode, you realize he's playing Kevin McAllister. And it's uh... this whole, it's a five minute like comedy video, but it's really dark. And he's like, he's all fucked up and like strung out on drugs. And he has all this PTSD for what happened to him as a little boy. And then like this guy tries to like carjack his car. And then he ends up like tying him up and torturing him. And he's like, you're like the burglars from when I was a kid. Like, oh, <laughs> it's a really funny, it's, uh, it's on YouTube. It's called Drivers. Cool. It's spelt all weird. It's I think it's like D-R-Y-V-R-S or something like that. But if you just you look up a Macaulay Culkin right. web show, it'll come up. But that was hilarious. I, I watched that today. I'll show it to you when this is over. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was a lot. I mean, that. there's a lot to cover. That was a lot. Uh, I guess one thing I want to say, too, before we wrap it up, it is funny but with a movie like this, how the traps and the beating up the burglars is such a, is so famous that if you don't watch it often, it's you forget how little of it is in the movie. Yeah. Like if as a kid, I remember the whole movie being him fucking up robbers. <laughs> like I barely remember that anything else even happened. And I think that's actually part of another thing that the sequel kind of taken over your brain. The sequel, it's almost twice as long because they knew that it was the most popular part of this movie. So yeah. it's like it's like forty straight minutes of him torturing them, and the it gets a little it gets so over the top like harry gets electrocuted and turns into a skeleton like it just gets real cartoony in the sequel yeah and i like in this one like it's not even that long like it's it's maybe like eight minutes of him like fucking with them you know Mm -hmm. what i mean from the time they try to break into the time they get caught up so yeah i do like that that's less than you remember but at the same time the movie in my opinion is still good enough that the other stuff isn't like it's not like it's not one of those movies where it's boring until they get to the action you know it's yes. like it's like i actually like everything i think it's funny i think it's i think the characters are kind of i actually give a shit you know mm-hmm. so i like that but masha so while this was my christmas pick for this year because i think this is a great example of how to incorporate christmas in a movie I did also pick it for some reasons, hoping that you would love it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is I was just shamelessly trying to tap into the nostalgia that anyone around our age is built in with Home Alone. Mm. You mentioned that earlier. If you were born anywhere between like 88 and 96, Home Alone was just a thing. Like you were just born into a world where everyone knew what Home Alone was. So uh, I was hoping that that would kind of just help me get a couple of couple of points there um but all in all i mean a i think i do think it's funny i don't know it's not like you're not gonna hold your stomach gut bust laugh but it's it's very charming it's very funny having someone as good as john hughes writing it it does elevate it more than your standard kind of kids movie last week i was talking about how dumb three ninjas is i was rewatching some scenes of that because i was watching all the prank scenes on that 
while I was preparing for this, just to kind of compare. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, there's just, there's something missing. I can't even really put my thumb on it. But in that movie, it's just so kiddish and childish. And like, I don't know if it's the John Williams music. I don't know if it's John Hughes writing. I don't know if it's Chris Columbus directing, but everything just seems more professional and kind of just made with care when I watch Home Alone. Mm. And then I watch your average kind of kid, let's watch someone get hit in the nuts type movie. Because that's all, that's tons of content for kids, you know, slip and fall, you know, all that stuff. So there's just something about this that it seems to be just made with a bit of professionalism that it's hard for me to grasp. And it boils down to like, I just think they made it with a lot of care to the point where if you look at the production design, they wanted to do Christmas so much. It's very rare for you to see any color in this movie that isn't green or red. Mm. They went to that effort of making the carpets green or red, like the countertops. Like they they went to such painstaking efforts to just make you feel Christmas without it every five seconds saying it's Christmas, it's Christmas, it's Christmas. So I, I like that about it. I just think I just think it was made with a lot of care. And then I just also was hoping to appeal to your love of things cute because Macaulay Culkin <laughs> is goddamn one cute little kid. Him at nine years old. I think he starts to lose a little by the time Home Alone 2 comes out. He's like 11 or 12 in that one. What are you talking about? Yeah. He looks exactly the same. All right, I'm going to put it on after this for five seconds. Because okay. I thought that too. And I watched them back to back a year ago, like in the same day. I like finished uh-huh. two and I immediately put on. I finished one and immediately just turned on two. And I was like, whoa. Like, I'm looking at a tween here. And I was looking at a little boy in the first one. Uh, I did not remember. So so I just, I just think it's like they caught him at that perfect age. He's just, ah, oh, it's so good. And then, you know, when when the movie doesn't need to, it does things like adding in great comedic actors like Catherine O'Hara, like John Candy, even John Hurt. He's also an SCTV guy um, who plays the dad. Mm. Um, one funny thing about him real quick. Sorry, I know I keep putting in these stories. He was also similar to Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. He kind of thought this whole movie was just like, oh, waste of time. But he just didn't take it seriously. Right. And apparently he was a bit of an asshole on set. Like he just... Oh, he come just, on. He, he wasn't mean, but, like, he just wasn't... He wasn't putting his heart into it. Like, he'd be like, all right, whatever. Like, take direction, blah, blah. And then when the movie came out, he saw how big it was and how much he loved it, this and that. Chris Columbus said on the first day of filming Home Alone 2, like, they called action on the first scene. And then right when they were about to start, John just stopped everything. And he's like, hey, I just got to say something. And he apologized to Chris and the whole crew. And he was Whoa. like, I was a complete asshole on the last movie. I'm so sorry. I thought I was better than the movie. Like, he was just, like, basically said, like, I was a dick. And he's like, now I see that what we're making is actually good, and I'll I'll be better for this one. And I was like, that's awesome. <sighs> All right, good good for him. Um, Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. Sorry, I know that has nothing to do with my my wrap up, but I just remember <laughs> that. Uh, yeah. So that's all I really have to say. I mean, the movies. I think it's funny. I think it's cute. I think it's shot really well. I I don't think they never just just go for the boring lopped off shot if they don't have to. They'll do things like move a camera under a guy's leg to simulate. Macaulay Culkin going under his legs. I just feel like it's easy to phone movies in like this, where you just set up a wide shot and play it safe. And mm-hmm. the, the opening scene of the family going running through the house, all craziness, like that was shot in a handheld one take. I just think little things like that, which are all harder to do, but at the end of the day, make your movie look better and stand out from just like your standard run-of-the-mill comedy. So this movie, it's not very complicated. You're not gonna, you're not gonna walk away you know thinking about something you never thought about before it's a very simple story of don't neglect your family and i think it works i think it's good for kids i also think it's funny enough for adults where it's not you know you don't need to have kids in the room to fully enjoy it um and i just you like cute stuff and it's a cute movie <laughs> the music is great and i just i don't know what to tell you all right so masha 
after all of that in a very long podcast where I rambled on and people probably turned it off by now because ugh, a lot of talking. <laughs> I need to know and the people need to know and America needs to know. America. Do you love what I love? I love it. You know, if you look at this movie through the lens of an adult, the biggest question you'll ask is, and I should have mentioned this in Beyond the Credits, is when does child services ring the doorbell? <laughs> the police station knows because Mrs. McAllister called the police station and asked them to check on her son, who she left alone, on, and she's in Paris, yeah. so she can't check on her son. So I'm just wondering... I mean, the fact that they couldn't even get a police officer to come more than once makes me think that they're not getting social services. I think your kid has to be fucking missing a, a body I, part for I them guess to come. So. In this world. I'm not saying in the real world. But yeah. In the world of Home Alone where everyone's like, you want me to check on him? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, motherfucker, he's nine. Like, that's the one thing. She never says my nine-year-old son. Uh, she keeps. That's the one thing about the movie I would have maybe rewritten. She just always is like, my son, I have to get to my son. And I'd be like, I think it helps if you tell people he's nine. Right. Because like, if you go, my son, he's 17. They'll be like, okay. Exactly. You know, so I'll be like, I have a nine-year-old who is home alone and I'm not in the country. Like, yeah. you know, like. And another thing, too, is as someone who hasn't watched this movie in a couple of years, I was expecting to see the parents and the family in a new light. But I honestly still thought they were all jerks. <laughs> um, hated every single one I of mean, them. I mean, you're kind of supposed to hate them all except really the mom. No, I know. Like, but I think that in other ways, this movie is so great at showing both sides of the coin right mm -hmm. like we mentioned um kevin and the guy in the church and you kind of get to see like not all adults are perfect but like you see both points of views yeah. and w like why they're fearful or whatever but i just thought that you know the way i i didn't grow up in like a big family household like this yeah. so a lot of it to me was just like man you guys are inconsiderate not caring whatever yeah bastards but i think you kind of <laughs> need that for the because the whole idea is like i know don't turn your back on your family even if they piss you off like yeah. it's still family and it's something you can't replace yeah so it's like yeah they kind of had to show them real shitty so that way i it, get it means it. something when kevin forgives them at to the me kevin is a martyr because it took so long for his mom to be like do you forgive me and yeah. then he's like yeah you know like <laughs> i'm like you know, Kevin is just way too nice for y'all. <laughs> I love it. I love the dad's reaction when, <laughs> when he tells him what he did. Like, he's like, I did this and I did some shopping. And he's just like, what a weird guy. <laughs> like, like, that's such a funny yeah. thing to say about your own nine-year-old son. For real. <laughs> what a weird guy. All right, but you have a question to ask because I'm literally gagging. I have a question to ask. <laughs> Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> Kevin! <laughs> All right, you got a question to answer. Stop, stop beating around the bush. Who are we kidding? I love this movie. <laughs> you already knew. <laughs> Yo, audience, you can't see it, but her hands are crossed, <laughs> and she is in a defensive position right now. She is not happy. <laughs> Whatever. I love this movie. I feel like I sort of gave it away by my excitement. Like, oh, you're choosing Home Alone? Yep. Like, off the cast. But That's yeah, funny. who am I kidding? <laughs> Whatever, you win again. <laughs> it's not winning. <laughs> it's a freaking great movie. Awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, folks, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening and have a happy holidays. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Also, if you have the time, take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. 
I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. I hope you love what I love. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals.